Ready, Dave? Wake up, Dave. Hey, everybody. It's Jordan Rockin' Cooper here with Dave. Um, <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> the opposite Fox. Fox. <laughs> that's not a bad nickname, actually. The opposite. Dave, the op. That's like mysterious. Yeah. You go west, I go east. <laughs> you need two cars for that, though. That's hard to do in one car. <laughs> I meant walking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome to I am your nightmare. Well, hey, for later, you get what I'm doing? I, I did. This is part one of, <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming that, I'm assuming that we might get all 20 songs done in about 90 minutes. Did you say 90 minutes? Yeah, a good, good solid podcast episode oh, right. is 90 minutes, I think. You mean 90% of one song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might get 90% of Subliminal done. And, yeah. and No, this will probably be part one of John Henry. We've got a really jam-packed show for you, and we've got a very special guest Whoa. later in the episode. So don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. Wow. Uh, wh where to begin? I mean, the thing is, I've got like piles of research and notes and stuff, but I kind of want to throw it all in the, the garbage. See the, the yeah. little garbage right Let's behind everything Dave. everything in the garbage. John Henry, the, the fourth, no, the fifth. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> They might fifth. be Giants album. The fifth. I know, I know it. I was kidding. You almost got me. Tom, John, and John here, back on the edge, with more talk about They Might Be Giants' new album, John Henry. We're pretty proud of what we've done here. It's, I think it's a really good record. Um, not like those other rotten four records that we made, which people should throw away if they own. This They're is, old. This one is a quality product. John Henry, we, we've talked already about how they formed a band. We talked already with, with Brian Doherty and yeah. Kurt Hoffman about recording John Henry. We're going to fill in a few more yeah. you know, gaps of that story with some clips from John and John and all that. So we've got a lot of information about John Henry, but but I think the main thing I want to want to talk about is is our relationship yeah. <laughs> with John Henry. I think it's going south and more uh, directional humor. <laughs> humor <Yeah>. and uh, <laughs> so wait, Dave. Uh, yeah, everybody knows it's our favorite album. Yeah, we've said that many many times. Yeah. Um, not only my favorite, they might be Giants album. One of my top five albums, period. Wow. Of what, all time. What's your number two? Well, I don't know what order this would oh, be okay. in. Oh, <laughs> okay. I didn't know if they were ordered or not. If you want to find out what my top five are, write in. <laughs> yeah, check out Dave's uh, Substack. But uh, <laughs> it's such a favorite album of mine that I, I kind of yeah. like don't listen to it ever because it's like... Yeah, reason. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One is that um, over playing it, I've listened to it so many times that it's like I don't want well I don't yeah. want to overplay it I want it to feel fresh so I like take really yeah. long breaks from it and then right. I'll listen to it and I'll be like whoa and it'll exactly. feel really new again that's why I stopped watching uh, Big Trouble Little China for a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a movie everyone that's a movie no everyone knows now it yeah. became like a, it had a resurgence as a yeah you know, I was uh, ahead of the curve on that Dave one. was ahead of the curve but um, I know what you mean. You got to give it some space because uh, fondness grows longer. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Actually, I hadn't listened to it like almost at all as we were doing all the other episodes and, yeah, same. And in my life and stuff. But the past few weeks, it's been, uh, I've been listening to it a lot. How good is it? They want to talk about the new album, their fifth one, and their first one with a full band. It's called John Henry. 
speaking as one of the executives of the They Might Be Giants company or family of companies, I think this is possibly our best collection of songs ever. It's great. I listened to it in the car today. It's a good album. I drove to the Bronx because I'm... Oh! (laughs) I'm cool. And uh, (laughs) that doesn't... (laughs) I was like, I was just imagining people not from New York would be like, oh, I guess the Bronx is cool. (laughs) I was like, no, that joke didn't have any meaning behind it at all. Um, It's a borough. And I listened to John Henry, especially the the songs we're going to cover today a bunch of times. And um, God, there's there's so much to say about it. Uh, I think for me, a lot of my enjoyment of it and my connection to it is just the sound of it the sound is not great. not yes. even like the songwriting which is great but the warmth the yeah feel, it's it's not the even touch of cotton <laughs> so you know it's it's analog i know that uh there's a quote from flansburg here where, where he talks about the gear a little bit he says john henry is a very straight ahead high-end production in terms of tech it might be the most traditional album we ever made except for lead vocals the whole band was recorded live everything mm. was tracked to two inch 24 track machines and mixed on great sounding boards with a great engineer named ed thacker so like yeah like that's the, that's the the analog thing like uh yeah. like i really think the gear <laughs> is like the secret weapon in in John Henry, like even though the songwriting's great and the band's great, I just I think it was recorded in a really special yeah. s- studio, which was Bearsville in Woodstock. Let's uh, talk what, about what, the new record. Where did you record it? We recorded it up in this place, uh, Bearsville uh, uh, Studios, which is up right next to Woodstock, actually. And um, we took the tour last August, and it was really beautiful. It's like a day like today, really mild, and it was incredibly, you know, fantastic natural setting. And we're thinking, man, we got to get out of New York City, you know, because it's just so harsh. Yeah, we'll get mellow in the country and record an album. It'll be so cool. And then we get up there in January, and of course it's the most bitter winter of you know twenty years. And um, we pretty much couldn't get out of the driveway for the entire time we were there. there I hear it's of, beautiful there, though. Absolutely, it's beautiful. really nice. Pretty much, except you know in January and February when it's well. Actually, it was un- beautiful. It's just like also incredibly dangerous to <laughs> leave the house. It was recorded with a full band, yeah, and a lot of it recorded at least basic tracks, I don't know, recorded live as a band, which is like extremely unusual for them. It wasn't until John Henry that we actually had, you know, rehearsed with, a, with you know, bass and drums and other musicians and kind of learned how to play the songs beginning to end as a group. And then, try, you know, the, the project was just record that, make a, make a recording of the live band. Well, they were hanging out together at sort of a little camp, summer camp, as Brian Doherty told us. And then the other thing was that we were in Woodstock, New York, uh, uh, recording last winter, and it was probably the worst winter on record up there. So we were completely snowed in. There were periods where we couldn't actually use the car to get from our houses to the studio, so we had to carve a path through the snow to get wow. to the studio. It was really intense experience. On our knees. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was in, it's so insane, though, because there's, there, there wasn't a paved driveway. And it, was a re, it was really like long roads way off the highway. You know, it, it was it just... It was a, definitely a rough winter. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure creative juices seem to be flowing when you get <laughs> well, punchy after a while. <laughs> right. That's right. Flowing and freezing. <laughs> Thank guys, God for cable. Yeah, so but Brian's perspective of making the album was that it was like wonderful and fantastic. And it's funny because yeah. I have, I mean, I'm going to go into this later, but Paul Fox, the producer, he's a drummer. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that's why sure. he yeah, like yeah. was really nice to Brian. 
<laughs> and like cared a lot about the drums being kind of the centerpiece of the album in a way, kind of the yeah. really like holding everything Well, together. the rhythm section on this album is pretty stellar. Yeah. Um, whereas Kurt Hoffman told us that he did not like really working on yeah, it. was like, fuck horns. <laughs> <laughs> because he was, Paul Fox suggested replacing Kurt with like a more session, session guys, which is like. I could he, see how that would bother someone. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would really. That would really make me mad. Yeah. I mean, that's happened to me in the past where... I was like, let's get someone else to do this podcast. No, Replace like with with the, I was making a... I won't get into details, but I was making Please a don't. musical project and someone was like, oh, do you want me to play that part for you? And oh, in, my I mind, yeah, yeah. I, in my mind, I'm like... Better? <laughs> but, it's, but it's me. Yeah. It's my music. Like, to me, it's like if someone were to play, like, let's say a keyboard part for me, it would. it's like taking my soul away from... Sure, the, yeah. I would never want anyone weird. to play my bass for me. Yeah, yeah, it's like a strange But this is more about being replaced, <laughs> not playing it for you. Just in general, just the sound of the album is so um, full and warm. Honestly, like you could, <laughs> I, I love how like, let's, like Apollo 18 sounds, mm -hmm. but if you put this on after it, it makes Apollo 18 sound like, like a bunch of demos in some way to Interesting. Me. It just sounds very small to me. This is really like 3D. Right. It's like, a, it's like a hologram. They're going for something different. Yeah. It was an evolution. I bet they said that in the studio. Like, the word we're going to keep gravitating to is hologram. <laughs> hologram. Yeah, Dave, well, uh, what do you, gen general thoughts? The other thing about this album, because I was thinking about this today, like, what is it about this album in particular? Yeah. And, you know, this may sound a little corny, but I think it's the time that I was listening to it as well that I got into it. Because I would say this was like last year of high school, first year of college. It mm -hmm. means a lot to me personally with our friendship. Yes. Um, okay, well, that didn't elicit any emotion in you, so <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I looked at my watch. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we're about done here. What did you want me to do, start sobbing? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I want you to be a goddamn human being. Friendship. Um, and times with Daniel before we went away, and then Oop. everybody went away. To, <laughs> everyone went to college when we were listening to this, and then you yeah. and me hung out more. That's right. As everyone else went away. And, I, was, I, was, I thought you were going to say, as everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was listening to this a lot in the dorm room, yeah, uh, which made me really popular. Well, this is an album I, I would always put on in the presence of non-fans, thinking maybe this they can tolerate this They Might Be Giants album. Yeah. Because the it's a risk, in my mind, putting on any other They Might Be Giants album, really. But this is the one that just sounds like a rock group, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a, kind of a whole big discussion to talk about, too, is their, the, the music scene at the time. But um, this is yeah. the one I would put on at, at jobs I worked. Because yeah. the second I would put on something like Lincoln or even Flood, which was popular, right? I would get very, you, you hear it the way other people hear it, and I go, oh, no. <laughs> this is not good for, this is not good bookstore browsing music yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but this was always the one I would put on as just like, and I, I, and I have an, a theory here. Um, the vocals are mixed very balanced with the band mm -hmm. as opposed to super above loud above the right. band yeah compared to almost everything else they, i think there's a little made. more bass in them too there's oh usual. there's a lot of, i was talking about that with subliminal actually um very bassy vocal and warm 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 and cuddly yeah that's a big evolutionary step for us i mean in a lot of ways people have always been really fixated on the lyrics of our songs and i feel like having a band kind of brings the musical stuff up in the balance, and I think people notice the musical end of 
the songwriting more. And um, a lot of times the songwriting is about the balance between the lyrics and the music. Like there are things that are happening in the music that are really contrary to the lyrics. Like the, the lyrics will be overtly cynical or existential or just like dire or gloomy and um, the music will be kind of working in, in contradiction to that. And that's the kind of thing that is sort of interesting to me because it's it's where a song is more than the sum of its parts. You know, it's like the, the cumulative effect of those two different elements really take creates a kind of mood that you can only create in a in a song. And um, I think having the full band and like having the power of like a live rhythm section makes that work a little bit better. I think it's harder to ignore the musical end of things now. I mean, our records used to be really vocal heavy and very much, like that was really in the foreground and everything else was really in the background. So I'm glad that it's a little bit more balanced now. It sounds good. Especially live. Yeah, it's pretty damn loud about it. <laughs> Can't understand the words at all, man. <laughs> but I was going to just to. Oh, I interrupted. You're talking about our friendship. <laughs> Just to go back to what I was saying, I think this this album does have a very strong set of songs, uh, a very great sound too, but it is mixed in with the time that I heard it. Just like yeah. the same way, let's say, Static Age for the Misfits. I listened to that when I was 15 or 16, yeah. and so it'll, I have a great nostalgia for it. Again, it reminds me of Friends. So that's definitely part of it. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but it's my top five, so whatever. That's fair. <laughs> What's going to happen to you? Well, because, you know, whenever we say, like, oh, John Henry's our favorite album, a lot of people seem to be the surprised by it. The internet explodes. Yeah. It, tw- it, it just, trends on Twitter for weeks. <laughs> well, just people that have written in or, um, <laughs> you know, people that respond to us or whatever, they seem to be surprised. A lot of people said they don't like John Henry at all, and it doesn't make that, sense to me. That sort of talk is why I actually had to leave a lot of the you TM- know it's that sort of talk <laughs> TMVG internet areas because it it really would uh, it would just affect me per- personally and right. I I'm not um I don't have a lot of self control on the internet as I think few do <laughs> and few do few do look par <laughs> but that's my point is like I don't know if it's a personal choice that's really special to me and nobody else sees it nobody yeah what's wrong with me. <laughs> I don't know if nobody else sees it, man. I sound like fucking Janice from The Muppet Show. <laughs> I don't know if anybody sees it. I'm really glad that you and I agreed <laughs> that it's our yeah, favorite album. Because I would think you were crazy if you didn't agree with me. Yeah, and our friend Daniel, we all three have talked a lot about like the music scene at the time. Early 90s was kind of like the music of the 80s was starting to mm-hmm. fade away. Drum machines were starting to turn more to like maybe R&B and... Mm-hmm. More, it was starting to get like uh, like more genre specific. Like, oh, certain certain things use drum machines, certain things now don't. Early '90s, a little confused with music, and then grunge happens, and, and suddenly, <laughs> side one, track one, Nirvana. Never mind. Yeah, in a way. So, <laughs> and everything changed. And then a helicopter over Nam. <laughs> it's the time of the sea. So all along the watchtower. <laughs> um, no, I'm just like imagining Sorry. the talking head in the documentary. <laughs> it's going like, <laughs> it was a groovy time, man. It was a groovy time. You know, Nirvana was singing about spaghetti, and we just didn't know. <laughs> um, 
So, oh my God, have I been? <laughs> this is a derailment even worse Look, than the people, Amtrak thing that happened this week. We haven't seen each other in a while. Too soon. Sorry. We have to catch up with each other, and we do it through this podcast. So, um, the, what I'm trying to say is the the grunge. What are you saying? The grunge thing happens, and suddenly, <laughs> this sounds weird to say, and it's but it's it, it seems even more relevant now to say this. But like, rock bands were big again. Yes. The idea of like a bunch of I'll, I'll not use a gender term. I was going to say a bunch of guys with guitars, but it, it could be girls. Yeah, it was mostly guys. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was mostly guys. But a bunch of like... It was like Sonic Youth and bunch of, Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of like cool... People. C- kind of slacker vibe people yeah. with guitars. And they. I always thought about like in grunge, like the guitars are really low. Same with Very like low. punk too. Yeah. It's like, what is that? Is that it like a, on good. purpose? Or is it just like they are, they're so lazy? They, yeah, man, they, they just can't be bothered. They didn't adjust the strap. Tighten that up. Because when I, I the was... The Beatles were like up here. Well, yeah. <laughs> For those at home, I'm motioning very high up. He's motioning high up. Thank you, court reporter. <laughs> um, and when I look at my... I have videos of my shows and stuff. I'm like, I've tried playing it low, uh, just like when it would accidentally be like that. And I'm like, I can't... Yeah. My wrist can't move... The, the way it has to. Not cool enough. So rock bands are, are big. Especially in 94. There's so many crazy albums that change yeah. the game. I was thinking about this too. It was like yeah. Rancid, Out Come the Wolves, like Offspring, Smash, Bad Religion, Stranger Than Fiction. It's crazy. Yeah. Especially for me personally, it goes back to that. Everything changed that year. And then somehow when I was older, listening to everything that coincidentally came out in this one year. It's yes. really strange. The other thing I kind of compare it to is like, you know, we talk about like analog, like special effects in movies, like practical right. effects. And in the 90s is when they were at the peak level of great. Cause like, so what I'm saying is right before CGI right, right. happened, the art of practical effects had gotten so sophisticated and with decades of work on mm-hmm. it that like, for me, like mid 90s movies have like incredible effects, <laughs> like especially horror and mm-hmm. right. Because you've got like, they just got so good at making these like puppets and animatronics and, you know, right before that all went away forever. Can you give me an example of a movie? Yeah, we just watched like In the Mouth of Madness and it's like mid 90s and yeah. you've got all these we- gross weird monsters and shit yeah, and yeah. it's just like wait five years and these would have all been CGI, CGI or whatever, yeah. right? So it's like I kind of see this as with John Henry and Analog where it's like in the 90s, like everyone got like really good at recording like loud guitars right, right. and rock and heavy rock bands. And then only a few years later, everything would become digital, Pro Tools and, and everything. Right, very and compressed. And early versions of Pro Tools and things like that. And the very slick. sound is different. I don't, it's hard, to, it's hard to explain to people just how I find it hard to talk about digital versus film in movies and stuff like that. But it's hard for me to explain. Like, it's not that I think like later they might be Giants albums sound bad, mm-hmm. but there's like a character that's missing. Like, a, there's a certain uh, feeling that's that's different. I consider like John Henry to be like, it was recorded at this time where it's like, oh, we really know how to record this mm. this stuff now. Because even in the '80s, a lot of albums sound like terrible. <laughs> you yeah, know, like a lot rock of reverb bands. And- yeah, or the guitars sound really thin. Like the first Smiths album sounds like terrible. Nobody knew how to record drums in the eighties. <laughs> well, it's funny if you come, a mess. if you come exactly. Yeah, they're very like high pitched or something. <laughs> and it, it a lot of these 90, 1994 albums stuff they do have a, a similar feel, where they're just kind of like really full guitars. Yeah, 
really like loud drums. There's an aggression to them. <laughs> where you really hear each part of the drum so well. Yeah, uh, I love a well-recorded kick drum. You know me. Yeah, <laughs> and the bass is really, really full. Like on this album, I noticed the bass, you don't hear the texture of it as much as on, as on other albums, mm. like the, the strings and the, the the noise of it, but it's just, it's sort of, it really is like the bed of everything on this yeah. album. Like it's it's this warm tone. Absolutely. So the, the my major point with like the, the way music was at that time and the rock thing is that I think that naturally as we looked into it, like They Might Be Giants just felt like it was the time to get a band. You also get the sense that because of the changing music industry and the drum machines going away and and grunge and rock bands becoming like what's selling, (laughs) not to be too cynical about it, but. Yeah, well, I don't think they, I think they changed organically as we've talked about before. And it just so happened to line up with also what was happening in the industry. We've always arranged our songs uh, by what it seemed like the piece of music called for. I mean, being a two piece with additional instruments, it's more like, um, you're involved in like the arranging production part right away. I mean, we never just, it was pretty rare that we just had two instruments on our record. So we always had kind of a, some sort of band sound anyway. So it, it wasn't completely, it wasn't a big switch. Where if they were to put out something like an Apollo 18 kind of song, it would really seem yeah. kind of weird in that. Yeah, next to Smash. Yeah, or yeah. like, yeah, just in that, in that alternative rock right. where everything is suddenly so big and. and or Dookie. Yeah. I think Doogie was 94. It's very guitar driven. And yeah. One article I found that kind of talks about this, it says it actually talks to uh, a few people about this topic in uh, in the context of John Henry. K, uh, this K Rock uh, person who works at K Rock talks about the Amo Giants and he says, I think a lot of their humor goes over people's heads. In the early 80s, there was a place for some of the happy sounding alternative acts like the B 52s. Hmm. The rock of the 90s is more serious. Yeah. And they might be giants fit right in with their intellectual humor. So, like, that's an interesting way of putting it, too. Like, in the 80s, you had, like, there was a brightness and a, a kind of fun. Yeah, everyone was on cocaine. <laughs> Let's do cocaine. We need a good uh, a song segment to do it on. Maybe, like, what, Stompbox? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, in my genre, that would be our slowest song. So, yeah, man. Yeah, man, I'm impressed (laughs) by what you're saying, man. So yeah, it's like you could almost—it almost can be like, oh, they're jumping on this thing that's happening. Yeah, but they're doing it in their own way, or it's just like kind of a coincidence and just kind of worked out that way. It's—it's kind of hard to say because they definitely there is like in certain interviews and stuff I read, like there's definitely talk of their record of Electra Records. Mm You know, being like, oh, we want this to be a more serious album, like not so much of the silly stuff. We got on the roller coaster ride that is being, that was being on a major label back then. And uh, I think it kind of, it served us well. You know, it's like we were, it was fortunate that we were experienced enough that it didn't change us tremendously. You know, it, it didn't, uh, there were some challenges. We, we, you know, we had to sort of collaborate with these people about how to approach what we were doing professionally. And that meant, you know, they wanted to bring in producers and and kind of uh, just make sure that we worked on a, you know, that our act was more together because we had been very rough and tumble up until then. We got better sound and better stuff, better gear. And then soon after that, we started working with live musicians, and that certainly improved our the musicality of our show. There's one thing Flansburg said in one interview about the whole n- weird novelty thing and John Henry not being that way. 
And so one thing Flansburg said in an interview that he did, I think people have come to realize that we have some sort of staying power. I could tell when we first hit the scene, people were very suspicious that if they did like us, at any moment we could do something that would profoundly embarrass them. Over time, people realize we're not going to turn into some novelty project. And this is an uh, interview about John Henry. So he goes, it's a lot more of a rock album, yeah. I think it probably reflects our show more than our previous albums in certain ways. It might seem like a departure in the amount that it rocks. Our previous work would often be more about the sonic adventure than presenting any sort of band style. Interesting. One thing he said, though, is that, uh, and he said this on the Tumblr about uh, asking if things got cut from John Henry. Mm -hmm. And he says, Paul Fox, the producer, for some curious reason, seemed to disenjoy Meet James Enzor in particular and Mm. suggested leaving it off. But he might have also been working on a directive from Electra to cut out the wacky. Right, right. So this is what I wanted to just talk about uh, is that Electra Records, I do think, had some opinions on like, I think, I mean, I think they were, they seem to be pretty in sync mm. that They Might Be Giants wanted a big band album and Electra Records wanted a more, for lack of a better word, mature <laughs> album and yeah. serious sounding album. Why is the Sunshine was Electra too though, right? Yes. So that didn't seem to have a lot of <laughs> it's a influence. Good, I think, yeah, over. it's a good point. I wonder if they do talk about like a lot of people changed over at various times in Electra. I, right, I don't sure. Because that's, that's a very good point. Why is the Sunshine is super wacky thing to put out you know yeah i mean it seems like they were still able to do whatever they felt like doing Mm -hmm. there's also a lot about john henry as a whole how it works and there's a lot of like bits of them kind of lamenting the fact that it's so long well here's another uh, song we sort of schoolhouse rock tradition uh sorry it's not just that it's 20 songs, but like they're pretty like longer length songs for In They general, Might Be Giants. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all their uh, previous albums were 19 or 20 tracks, but more short. They're short attacks. And these have guitar solos. And- yeah. You know what's crazy? Sleeping in the Flowers yeah. is four minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, I know. It I doesn't to, feel I like it. I wanted to talk about You took the words right yeah. out of my mouth. Yeah. But I know what you mean. It's like, it's. It's involved. So, I mean, the other significant thing about this, and this is true for Apollo 18 also, because it was made for CDs. This was also one that was really made for, because CDs could fit over an Mm -hmm. hour of music. Right. So whereas Apollo 18 is the shuffle mode experiment, this is really the first time they're like, oh, this isn't going to come out on vinyl, where it has to be under like 40 minutes or whatever. Mm. Like, that's like a big deal, because now they're like, we're just making this to be a CD. Okay, this is um, actually ready to go if All you right, want well, to. Yeah. Um, this is a track one on our record. It's called Subliminal. This is track one? Track one, side one. Actually, they only have one side now, so. <laughs> we have 72 minutes on this CD, which I know well because I used to make mix CDs all the time. Hey, hey. And I'd be at like 71 minutes and five seconds. I'd be like, oh, is there a short thing I could pop? Right. You know, I would used to like squeeze everything onto a CD. This is a quote from Flansburg, uh, kind of talking about that too. He says, It's very rare for us to even put two slow songs together. I'll admit that's probably our own insecurities about boring people with slow songs. Side one and two of LPs and cassettes really helped organize pacing. John Henry is both long, filled with mid-tempo tracks, and was not sequenced for two sides, but rather one big CD blob. So we had to approach sequencing in a linear way, and perhaps we were not so successful at it. I think the sequencing in John Henry is fantastic. I do too. It has a great flow. And I think even unconsciously for CD length projects, Mm -hmm. 
You put something in the middle that's like an intermission. Oh, yeah. There's an intermission on this album. Yeah, it's, it's called, called Do Not Forsake Me. Oh, Do Not Forsake Me and Spy. Yeah. Those are the... Well, Spy is spy the end is, of side one. <laughs> spy is when you're in a theater and the intermission comes up and it's like, you could go to the bathroom during this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, Do Not Forsake Me is like, oh, everyone's getting back in their seats. Let's What's going on? Yeah. There's this like weird song. Let's uh, You know what I mean? And then yeah. No One Knows My Plan is like... And we're starting sure. part two of the show. So I think that that ride is unconsciously there in, in any kind of sequencing. Yeah. Even movies have three acts. Exactly. You know. Chapter breaks. Yeah. So I think you always put something in the middle of a CD that's like slowing down yeah. something for one side. And something that's different too. Like, so on my new album, Trouble's Afoot, Woke Up Dark, <laughs> me and Dave's new album, check it out, Bandcamp, sure. Spotify. <laughs> Uh, YouTube, uh, whatever. Anyway, I, I put an instrumental in the middle. Right. And the idea behind that was exactly what we we're saying. I was like, this is the ch just chill out, you know, like take a little break kind of thing. So but <laughs> like break from my voice. <laughs> so actually John Henry was the first one I brought on, bought on CD, I think. Wow. Maybe Apollo 18. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. I had Apollo no, 18. No no. no, no, I had Apollo 18 first. Then in summer camp meeting Matt, our friend Matt, in summer camp, like he had it and he was really into it. And I was like, this is, they might be just, like, I didn't even understand at first. Like I was like, oh, is this another thing they did? And it just sounded so different to me and so big, you know, and like, so like exciting. Anyway, my, my point being is sequencing a side one, side two, a holdover from LP and a natural evolution to cassettes and then a CD, we still had the remnants of it. So we had those ups and downs and stops and starts anyway. I just want to know, yeah, do you you don't think it's too long or me personally? No. You, Dave. Me you're in, personally. You're, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> no, not at all. Cuz it's 90 degrees in here. <laughs> yeah, it's July 1st, people. Can't have an air conditioner on while you're doing a podcast. Nope. Cuz the gods are cruel, they are. <laughs> I I think it's a great length. I mean, it's something you could really sink your teeth into. Yes, that actually reminds me of, of something else uh John Flansburg said about, you're welcome. about the album. Also remember I listened to Metallica. <laughs> they have 10 minute songs yeah it's funny i don't listen to a lot of bands with with long songs only the rio statics yeah. actually a, i don't either there's so. a few eight or nine minute <laughs> rio static songs and but and they took me a long time to get into like those songs there's enough changes but then once in, you do you're like oh my god you yeah know? they have to have enough uh changes and stuff to keep you interested so there's an interesting uh, quote from Flansburg. Actually, both of them uh, were interviewed here, and they talk about the producer, Paul Fox. So Paul Fox, he's a producer. Great last name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was, are you related to him, Dave? Maybe. Give me a call, Paul. Who produced the record? Uh, we uh, produced it with a guy named Paul Fox, uh, who, who um, let's see, he produced the XBC uh, Oranges and Lemons album and uh, the, oh, you know. Sure Cubes. And And how long people, uh, did you record for? It wasn't actually that long. It, it, we did a lot of demos and spent a lot of time kind of um, doing shows. I mean, we did shows, you know, working up the new material. So a lot of the stuff got sorted out before we were in the studio. So we were actually in at Bearsville for less than a month, I guess. So so in terms of the of what Paul Fox brought to this production, I mean, like we already kind of know from our other interviews, but he, here's, yeah. here's Flansburg and Linnell talking about it in a thing. Flansburg says, and this is a little sad, John Henry was kind of the beginning of the end for us with Electra. The thing about those situations is that it's never a surprise to find out the label isn't digging it. Mm. All, all the people who are boosters of the band had just departed, left the company. So I think that happened right after Watch the Sunshine. Interesting. Or something. That's my theory because, you know. Um, 
And bringing in Paul Fox was kind of a way to keep the record company engaged because they had a big su- success with him and 10,000 Maniacs. Mm. You like 10,000 Maniacs, Dave? I don't know much about them. Natalie uh, Merchant. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I love, that, the, I love the name. This is my problem with them. It's a good name. The name yeah. does not at all match what the music is. <laughs> is that because uh, the night belongs to lovers? Yeah. Because yeah, that, that really doesn't match belongs up. To us. I like that song. It's not that I don't like the songs or Natalie Merchant personally. I just oh, always, I just like her personally. I always thought the name sounded like this fucking awesome rock band. <laughs> it should have been like <laughs> Freddy Krueger's rock band. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, there's gonna be one person listening who's gonna be like, "Holy shit!" So anyway, uh, Flansburg continues. Paul Fox definitely worked the old school producer angle of mediating between the band and listening to the record company's concerns. Hmm. Ah, Arr. he just wanted to figure out how to make a hit. We would just be a big splash novelty act. We'd have a monstrous hit. We would have some kooky dance that sweeps the nation. <laughs> so this is interesting. This is not the opposite of what I thought. This seems to be like Lecture wanted a big attention-grabbing novelty song to be a hit, right? Whereas I, I thought they wanted... Well, the- their definition of that, though. Yeah. Because, again, uh, They Might Be Giants, they don't consider the weirder songs novelty, so they might have a different yeah. idea what that means. <laughs> That's true. Flansburg continues, Once we had sort of broken their spirit on the novelty <laughs> front, I think what the unfortunate consequence was, if they're looking to have success the old-fashioned way, then they've got to straighten up their act. So there you go. So at first the lecture was like, where's the wacky yeah. fun thing like Particle Man? And then they were like, well, we don't, that, that's not quite in the cards this time. And then they're like, so apparently then they're like, yeah. okay, well then be Nirvana or whatever. Right. Give us a smells like teen spirit. So then Flansburg says, that was the memo Paul Fox didn't have to share with us, but in retrospect was fairly obvious. He says again, they wanted to cut Meet James Enzor off the album, which is nuts because when you look at that album, it completely stands out. To this day, it's a very enduring song that people really identify with this band. You think, here's a song that has an identity. But here, here's where he talks about this part, in my mind, shows that like Flansburg knows, Flansburg kind of agrees with what we say about why we like the album. He says, basically, we have always gone for big variety pack albums. We try to serve as many ideas as best we can. And when we pruned away the other songs that aren't going to be included, the, the thinking is usually, well, we've got a good solid mid-tempo rocker or we got a good crazy up-tempo thing. We've got an interesting ballad, an experimental song, all these things covered. What makes John Henry a very unusual record for us is that this is the only time that the sequencing did not go that way. For a lot of people, the fact that it's sort of mid-tempo and continuous is a real vibe maker. They're (laughs) like, I can really listen and hang out with this record. It's not as Mm. wild a ride as our other records. Right. All that (laughs) was to just say, I I totally uh, agree that that's what the album's like. I think he almost sees it as like a not as interesting Hmm. as their other albums. But I see that as a huge strong point. There's still a lot of variety in the album, though. Like, oh, I, I think so, too. And there's a lot of genre exploration. And so I don't know. I think Flansburg might be selling it short a little bit. I know what he means about the mid-tempo thing. I mean, there's no, there's not a lot of like, you know, it's, it is all kind of like. Comparatively, I suppose. Comparatively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's not like, you know, boat of car or like. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. That's the point, right? Yeah. There's no, you'll miss me. No. <laughs> I wish there was. <laughs> I wish there was a You'll Miss Me on every album. <laughs> well, as a duo, you know, it's a little nice thing about the band, the, the, the group is that, you know, we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have a single sound. It really was the songwriting that, that that's the unifying 
element. It's sort of the sensibility of the songs and the, and the way we put the lyrics together and, and the kinds of melodies that we work out, I think are the things that define They Might Be Giants. I don't feel like, you know, I, I like having records where every song is a different setup, you know. One song will be like a horn-oriented song, the next will be something else. You know, that, that to me is more fulfilling as a listener. You know, I, I, I think that, I mean, a record shouldn't just be a document of, of a band. You know, it should be like a, you know, like a sort of musical statement. Um, now that we, we, have a, we have a live band now, and we've been uh, working with them for a couple of years, and I think, you know, we've, we've, it's now a six-piece band, and it, it, that sort of, we can sort of fill in a lot of the blanks of our arrangements with two horns and, Keyboards, guitar, drums, and bass. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty flexible setup. It's about as flexible as a, like a small band can be. Here's another slightly negative. Uh, <laughs> this is from Linnell. He's talking about like building a song from the ground up in the studio. And Linnell says, "We did that with John Henry, and it was not a comfortable scene for us. Just rehearsing over and over again with a band. We weren't used to doing that, and we had Paul Fox in the room, slightly countermanding what we were saying." So that was not a smooth process for us. That sucked. Hmm. So, yeah, and it's funny because I also have interviews where they say how great it was working with Paul Fox and in that studio and how, you know, it was like really new and exciting. So I don't know. Maybe this is a hindsight thing. I guess there's two sides to every story, Jordan. Now, here's like a polar opposite uh, take from from them about this. Well, so what good is any of this? <laughs> <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. We talked about this with uh, on the Apollo 18 episode about uh, she's actual size. I think at the time I was looking for this quote and I couldn't mm. find it. But it, this is where I saw Flansburg say that. So he says, there's times when you're recording material you just finished writing. When I listen to She's Actual Size, I'd be lying if I said that it didn't make me a little disappointed yeah, because yeah. the later performance versions of it have so much more spirit than the recorded version. Yeah. And then he goes, with John Henry, it was the exact opposite. We had the opportunity per to perform them and really nail down the best versions. We took extra time and I think it paid off in terms of quality. Mm. So like before doing John Henry, they rehearsed the songs for weeks, weeks. And as we know with the demos, they made the album already <laughs> right <laughs> and then made it again uh which is discussed in our interviews with kurt hoffman and stuff so like to me like that says that they like these are like the best because when you listen to the john henry songs live they're pretty close mm -hmm. to the album version speaking of chicago jennifer and q101 in chicago hi jennifer um yes i just want to tell you guys that i love you guys and you guys are so gorgeous but i wanted to know um how is making this album different from making any other album well there were two things one was we had this band which we've never recorded with before we never had a band in the studio and that we had to completely change the way we work we we had to learn all the songs in advance with the band, and that was really different. And, you know, it was partly um, at, at Paul Fox's prodding in a way, so we credit him with, you know, getting us to really do a different kind of record. It's really hard, you know this, like when, I you, do. when you're recording an album and you're, you're like, part of you wants to be like, well, this has to be the best version of the song. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're like, oh, well, then it should be way faster because that'll be more exciting. But mm -hmm. then you're like, do I want the one version to be too fast or do i want to be too sloppy like yeah what's the definitive version what does that mean right and you could uh work on songs you know forever and ever yeah that's exactly the position i'm in right now because we're yeah. right on the cusp of recording and i'm like but what if i come up with a great idea in six months for one of these songs and we can never go back which has happened but at a certain point you just have to say this is the song this is the recorded version yeah it's impossible I think. Yeah, I, um, the album I just made, uh, I was constantly trying to find that balance of I want it to sound 
kind of crazy live, like put some crazy guitar things that feel like they weren't like super written. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, but it's really got to be a solid definitive version of this song that doesn't have too much nonsense in it because it's like kind of like when you hear a band live and they start to sing things more loose and weird. Mm Like they might have do this a lot. They start yeah. to do their vocals weirder live, and and sometimes you're like, oh, that'd be cool if that was the album version. But then you're like, no, it's good to have the foundation yeah. not as the album. And sometimes you do change something, and you're like, oh, this is the way I was supposed to sing that line. Yeah, I for know. the rest of time. Here, here's just more um, elaboration from Linnell about how they recorded with Paul Fox and doing the songs over and over. He says it really worked to our advantage in ways we weren't even expecting. Paul really was insistent about making it sound as live as possible. We would have been content to record the drums and bass and then overdub other stuff and do countless punch-ins to fix everything up. You know about countless punch-ins? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't like mean that in a bad maniacs. way. Yeah. It's a good band name. <laughs> oh, countless punches? That is a good band name. Um, Paul was... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that was funnier than what I was trying to get at. Um, P- Paul was... <laughs> Slandering my ability. <laughs> Paul was opposed... To, well, we can maybe explain to people what that means. <laughs> Punch-ins is like when you're recording something and you fuck up like one note. Yeah. And you don't want to record like 30, yeah, the rest was 40 good. seconds of a whole part. You just like literally punch in boop. <laughs> and I've done you that. You record one little part. Like a second. And and um, I've done that. Dave's done that. We've done that for the podcast where we have to make a correction and we punch it a word. Yeah. Which is really actually hard to do. It's hard to make that sound good. Yeah. We're going to have to do one. It's hard to make that one. sound good. <laughs> so anyway. Um, How Come the Wolves was actually 1995. That's my punching. <laughs> I've been thinking about that for an hour. Uh, okay. Now I don't have to punch it in. So anyway, Linnell says Paul was opposed to doing punch-ins. He wanted to get a full take of the rhythm section and John and I, and in some cases, including horns. Like, that's a lot. Well, it's like Frank Black and the Catholics. Yeah, so Frank Black and the Catholics. You have he, to be very well rehearsed. <laughs> he wanted to, yeah, all their albums are, are live. Yeah. Live, everything's live. And they said they, they had to really do innovative things to separate the instruments. Like, right. for example, like, their songs were Frank's playing acoustic guitar but his vocal mic is like not getting it and i think they put like a thing between yeah, you yeah. know like it's crazy or switching instruments yeah so they they said they're the one album dog in the sand is where they got ambitious where they're like oh the keyboard player can like grab like a saxophone wow. and like you know kind of stuff and it's still live it's not yeah. yeah so so the fact that they might be giants did this knowing their first album and lincoln and all are the, so controlled yeah they're yeah. so controlled there's so many Layers and layers. And now John Henry has layers too. There's wow. there's like subliminal, as we'll get to. It's like yeah. five Linnells singing. <laughs> it's five Linnells singing at once. To continue your thought, actually, I think it's the best of all worlds. It's a yes. big, loud, live sound with some meticulousness. There's still tons of creative, right. outside-the-box ideas. Still, they might be giants. It's almost like they might be giants with a budget. I wanted to talk about the title, John Henry. We have a new record that uh, will be out in August of this particular year, and the record's uh, probably going to be called John Henry, and uh, there's a lot of uh, songs on it, as you might guess, and this is one of them. Dave? Are you familiar with the character Steel from DC Comics? Of course. (laughs) What a stupid question. I see. Yeah, you're right. No, I say that because that Steel, I was thinking about this, Steel is, is a playoff on John Henry, and the, yeah. the guy's name, uh, <laughs> the character's name is John Henry. Yeah, and but he's a combination of a he's a combination man and machine. Of a few things. Well, uh, That's armor, right. I don't know. Okay, so well, let, let's talk. Don't about, at me. 
<laughs> let's let's talk about the title of the album. John I don't Henry. think it came from him, by the way. <laughs> Just so you know. What does that time out? Death of Superman was that oh, ninety four? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Superman died in 1993. Did you wear the black armband? I wore it to school because that's how upset Dave, I, I was. I like cut myself. I tried to kill, <laughs> I tried to kill myself. <laughs> Just kidding. A nation mourns. So anyway. <laughs> right before we started talking about this, I was like, yeah, we'll get we'll get to track one. We'll get <laughs> um, John Henry, the title. Dave, do you want to sum it up? I have Linnell talking about it. I got, I got everything. It was a story about a guy named John Henry. It's a story, who, probably not true. Well, I think it was like a metaphor about, uh, you know, the Industrial Revolution and That's all that. That's right. And it was sort of uh, John Henry going against this machine that was good at breaking rocks. And, and then there's a racial aspect of it, too. He is oh, we view. can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, he was a black guy. He's a black black man, Dave. Sorry. He's not a guy. <laughs> I'll be issuing an apology tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I it's am like very half sorry. of our, tw our Twitter is Dave's apologies. I have done a lot of soul it's searching. Like a, it's like a screenshot, and we have to use a very tasteful font. This was a teachable moment going forward. No, I think that so. My point was, I think that's a part of it too, is the blue collar. So, anyway, he goes against this machine that could break rocks, and the machine breaks down halfway through going through he a wins. mountain. He wins the and contest. He wins the contest, the age old man versus machine confrontation. Kasparov versus Deep Blue. However, at the end, he dies of exhaustion, which, which I may which do <laughs> during this podcast because it's so hot in here. <laughs> yeah. This is what uh, John, John Linnell said. Um, he said so, he's answered this question in so many interviews. Here's, here's like a, some of it. What's the best one? He goes, John Henry's this folk figure from the 19th century. There was a song about John Henry, which I will cut to now. I've got this song. This is why I come I tried, over. I tried to find the oldest spot. It's really old. So I was like, what's the oldest version? This sounds pretty damn old. <laughs> if you okay. know what I mean. John Henry Hamlin in the mountain. Tell the head of his hammer caught a fire. Can't pick him up, boys, and let him down again. One cool drink of water before I die, die. Sounds like counterfeit faker. <laughs> so Linnell says, there's a song about him. He was born with a hammer in his hand, and he was a steel-driving man. A real man, Dave. The th <laughs> Not like you or I. <laughs> um <laughs> The, okay. <laughs> the thrust of the, the thrust of the Let's song. Let's do a push-up contest. <laughs> the thrust of the song is that he had a battle with a machine. They were trying to figure out who could drill more through more rock, a steam drill or a human being. See, I said steam before. I was sort of correct. John Henry was the apex of human railroad workers, and he won. He beat the machine, but he exhausted himself and died. It was sort of a conclusive battle. Well, of course, the machine took over, and of course, people now use machines to drill things. It's kind of a story about industrial revolution, which you said. Yay. For us, it's related to the fact that we now have a band composed of human beings, whereas <laughs> throughout the 80s and early 90s, we used machines to make all our records. And now they're all then exhausted. He said a few funny... <laughs> oh, yeah, he, kind of, he said he said similar funny things that I highlighted. Um, 
he also had a funny point where he's just like, we've finally picked an album name that we can explain, which uh-huh. is good. We've had a lot in the past where like Lincoln and Flood, we felt like they have a vibe to them that we thought was particularly good that spoke to us and seemed to be saying a lot of different things in just the right way. Then he goes, the name John Henry is a little bit wry, but it's also a sincere expression of our interest in getting human beings through the job now that we've tried machines out. Hmm. We want to see what it's like for the band to play music. It's funny, it seems like the comparison might not hold, but in a way, we have these guys who are these sort of menches who are struggling to produce the product. Explain what a mensch is to the non-New Yorkers. (laughs) Uh, Saintly people, good people. Yiddish word for like a good guy. Yeah, who are struggling to produce the product with us. It's very appealing to me to have people alongside you on stage doing this. The other thing is we're both named John, John Henry. It's just a name that has this resonance. And then he goes, and that they all died afterwards. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and it also has the dark humor. Well, not humor, but it has oh, it's a, darkness I, about it. It's like a ironic yeah. uh, Twilight Zone-y yeah. kind of um, dark story that's sad and funny. And, and you yeah, know, it totally it's, fits in with all their oh, themes. It's, it's like their song lyrics, really. Right. Dave, what, what do you think of the album art? Is that is that a crazy question? Am I am I get am I am I out of, am I out of can, can line? Can you let me answer? Am I? Is this question too much of a question? Do you know what I mean, man? I like the album art. There's a haunting quality to it. Yes. Um, there's a really fun juxtaposition of, you know, cute kids and... Cutie kitties. I don't think you can say that. Yeah, let me, <laughs> let me start over. I like the juxtaposition of the kids with mm-hmm. the skull and the death themes. Yeah. It's very, they might be giants. What, one thing I've always loved, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot today, is the, the sign... The kids, yeah. <laughs> are, the kids are holding a sign that says, we hate, they might be giants. Besides that, that's just kind of a badass, it's a very punk thing to put on your album. Sure. Is like saying, you know, people hate the band. Yeah. Do you think it's like a, a joke on the, uh, the idea that fans would hate that they got a full band and would protest the shows uh, so seemingly, which is talking maybe. about in Gigantic, which fans were kind of disputes a little. Definitely, maybe. I think that's an. I think it's a joke <laughs> about, about. Oh, it. the fans are gonna are, I, I not the fans. I think they're the joke is some fans. Maybe they're saying the childish fans oh, who can't grow who can't grow with them will will hate this direction for them. So it's kind of like yeah. it's putting the cart before the horse as it were, whatever. They're like they're putting it out there before anyone even says anything, right? Do you think that's the the idea? I always took it as like you know the kids are going to be the next wave of like fans for them and. They're at this major label now, whatever, and it was kind of a joke that like it's nobody likes them. That's what, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> obviously, it, it works on a lot of levels. Yeah, self-deprecating always works. It's good. yeah, yeah. It's always a good. It's always a good look. That's why I do it. 20, like if twenty-four-seven. <laughs> if those kids had a sign that said "We love," they might be giants. It wouldn't work. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't really work. All right. All right, we're on Easy Street now. We know how all the songs go from this point on. <laughs> Um, I I even love like the font is really scratch yeah, scratchy. scratchy. And, yeah. It looks like someone carved it in a tree, right? It, it looks like turn of the century industrial revolution. Or it looks like there's an X-Files episode where I think there's two where people have words carved in their chest to the corpses. Yeah. It looks like that. Huh. Maybe that's what they were going for. Yeah, maybe. I think that happened before this album. And there's the tools. It goes along with the John Henry theme. There's yeah. The pickaxe the or whatever pickaxe she's holding. That she's, whatever the fuck. 
this girl is she holding. She looks very sullen. Yeah. Well, Dave, we actually, we know how that happened. We do. We know everything. You guys don't. You guys, wah, you, <laughs> we. Hi, <laughs> you, but one well, groom, two grooms. I'm, yeah. Dave, we talked to Scarlett Kim. She is one of the children yes. on the John Henry cover. I am so excited even just finally saying this. Um, if yeah. you want to know who Scarlett Kim is, she is holding the skull on the back cover. Yeah. She is holding the skull. She's in the foreground. She's she's uh, she's the little girl. Uh, she's, <laughs> should I say she's the Asian girl? She's Asian. You she's, can say it. She knows she's Asian. Um, <laughs> I think. Everything is so uncomfortable these yeah, days. Isn't it? Isn't know. it guys? Why? Why? Can we just all relax? We're all just people We're all on just this big ball of dirt. This big ball of dirt. Big dirty ball <laughs> <laughs> in the sky. When you change the order of those words, it's yeah. worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Scarlett Kim talked to us about being a child model and yeah. and being in this John Henry photo shoot. Truer words were never spoken. I love her. I love talking to her. <laughs> it was a great conversation. It, it was, was really fun. It was really fun. Let's now listen to some of our conversation with Scarlett Kim. We could just start with like what are the circumstances that led you being yeah. there that day in, in the park that day? No, well, well hi, guys. Yes. Hi. I'm Scarlett. Nice to meet you guys. Scarlett Kim. But I actually, I was a professional child model. Wow. So I um, had my agent get me the job, so I oh. auditioned and I got the job for it. The only person I did kind of talk to was my mother because she had to go with me as my guardian because obviously you're a child working and she wrote down the date. It was June 1994. So I remember the album came out a little later that year as well. So it makes sense. I do remember this. So I think the audition just to get the job was maybe a month or two before that. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, it's Manhattan. I forgot where it was, but my mom was double parked. <laughs> but she was double parked and she couldn't like go upstairs with me. So my cousin was with me. We ran upstairs and I would just remember I was like with the I think it was the producer and I was just like I'm like running in, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm here, I'm doing the audition. I'm like I'm like eight or nine years old. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's like, just uh tell me about yourself and I'm like, Okay, here's a pose and I'm I'm here to do photo, but wow. because I was just like I'm I'm double parked. We're double oh, parked. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a New York thing. Yeah. <laughs> a nine year old that's double parked. Yes. Yeah, and I'm like, I gotta <laughs> smoking a cigarette. Come on, guys. Time is money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I do remember one thing mm -hmm. was he asked me to do like a like a uh, before I left running. He was like, can you do a crazy face for me or a monster, like an ugly face? Uh -huh. <laughs> and I just remember going like, like really like like a really ugly face. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I was like, is that what you want? And I just ran out. <laughs> <laughs> so did you know what this was for? Did you have the context? I did know it was for uh, a CD cover. OK. I have to tell you the truth. All I knew was that he said. They only said John Henry. So hmm. we didn't know the band name, like actually a band. Wow. We only knew the, the album cover. So uh, for the longest time, to tell you the truth, I actually thought John Henry was the actual group. Right. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> I, so like, you know how movies have like a secret name. You can't oh, yeah, say yeah, the yeah, real name. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the whole time they just called it the John Henry, John Henry thing. So I want to go backtrack a, a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. so what, what got you into this line of work as a kid? I assume it mm -hmm. was a, like a parent's idea or, or something, but, or did it come from you? <laughs> yeah, like a, oh, you know, I wanted to No, Actually, my cousins were in it before me, but mm -hmm. to tell you the truth, back in the 90s, 
you know, they were going through this whole, you know, the colors of Benetton thing where they wanted every race like child of the color. Sure, sure. Yeah. My cousins are, <laughs> even though they're also Asian, yeah. they weren't very much the stereotypical Asian looking kids. They had, you know, hmm. very big, wide eyes. They had very curly hair. You know, they weren't really like your stereotypical Asian. So okay. one day I was coming in with them to, while they're doing an audition and I come in and I have small slanty eyes my hair was super straight and long and they were just like oh you're like the epitome of like a stereotype and i was like okay uh they signed me please let me work yeah they were just like they signed me up and i was like okay i think i was five and i like i tell people jokes about this like i got signed at five for an agent and I retired at 14. Like, I was like, that's my... I had an illustrious... My sister got in as well, but it was like... The reason why she became a baby model was because she didn't cry. So, as a baby, as long as you're well-behaved, they want you. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, she did all those pampers and, um, you know, Huggies diaper commercials, so... I did one of those last week. (laughs) You know, as long as you look good in a diaper and you just like... Yeah. Back to you, Scarlett. <laughs> my parents told me that I never cried as a baby, which is weird because I cry all the time now. I thought you were <laughs> going to say your parents told you you could never be a model. Yeah, ever. Also, <laughs> yeah you'll never be a model. Oh, you know, those like um, my other things I used to do was like, um, you know, like those like textbooks, like you see those kids doing the science projects or something. Yes. Yeah. Or right. like the music books. You see people like playing the instruments. That was me. Yes. So like oh stock, stock photography. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, stock photography. I was, right. uh, I'm actually, I make jokes about this. I was like, I am in the dictionary under like ponytail. Like I'm in the dictionary. <laughs> That's so crazy. So now we can flash forward to that day in the park and, and anything you can tell us about yeah. what that shoot was like or <laughs> what what they instructed you you all to do. Okay, so I can't say if this is for sure. I think the cover image was spontaneous. Oh, wow. The, the girl sitting with the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Because I would say majority of the day, we spent like a good, like, I would say 90% of the day, like walking around the whole center. It was in Central Park. We did this. Mm -hmm. Okay. I remember thinking, I thought, first of all, it was really cool because they gave us like these like outfits to make us look like a ambiguously retro, like you couldn't really tell us the timeline of what we were, Ah. like what outfits we were wearing, like. Are we from the 70s? Are we from the 90s? Right. You couldn't really tell. That's interesting. I didn't know. I thought, I assumed that's just what the, uh, all you kids like showed up in. Like a yeah. built-in nostalgia. Yeah. That's on brand. But I think that's what they wanted you to do. Like we could be from the 70s. We couldn't be from, yeah. like, so I mean, I think mm-hmm. like some things were mine. Like maybe my t-shirt was mine, but the dress was theirs. I just remember we were just standing there and they were like, like they were just like, my hair was out. They strained it out. And I remember thinking, oh, they're trying to get give me like this Morticia looking effect like they were mm. wanting me to look really spooky yeah and the first thing yeah and i just remember <laughs> the first thing was i was there and he just uh, the director gave me the skull i was the first person to get uh, he was like he wow. looked right at me and gave me the skull and <laughs> i was like oh, yeah i was so excited and he positioned me right in front and I just remember thinking this is like, I felt like really cool. You were the star. Yeah. <laughs> we, I remember like people around us like kind of looking at us because we were like really spooky kind of just walking yeah. like, uh, you know, and we're like walking with signs and I'm walking with a skull and we're trying to like walk around the woods, you know, one kid walking with the, I guess the wagon and. Yeah, that's right. There's a kid on a wagon. There's a yeah. balloon. There's the signs. Yeah. It was a very uh, typical 90s thing where they pick um at the time, 90s, we they do this uh, thing where they pick a wholesome 
diverse group of kids. And, like, Mm -hmm. usually, like, again, like, if there is a white girl, she's usually a redhead. And there is a redhead girl. It's, like, a thing they usually do. It's, like, a... It's a standard they do with modeling. They have a... If the girl is white, she has to have red hair. Or if there, there is a white boy, <laughs> he has to be in the wheelchair. <laughs> right. Tell us more details about that day. Was it in the morning? Was it early? I think we had to get there. If I remember, we were on time, but everyone was there before us. So by the time I got there, <laughs> oh, no. it was like, it was still like eight or nine, but all the kids were already playing tag or something. <laughs> so by the time I got there, they were all playing tag, and they're just like, oh, play with us. And I was like, okay. Right, just being kids. <laughs> and then by then, we had to get into our clothing and, like, getting dressed, getting to know each other. Oh, the director and the photographer were awesome. They were, like, mm-hmm. working with us as kids, and they're just like, I remember them, like, directing us, and they constantly just giving us juice boxes and, like, snacks. And- <laughs> yeah. That's what Jordan does for they me. Sti- they still give us juice boxes on, the, on like the extra jobs. Like that never goes away. Who doesn't love a juice box? Yeah. <laughs> they really do. They feed you like a little kid on those jobs. They give you Cheetos and juice boxes. That's all we need, really. <laughs> but the cool thing I, I do remember this was they were playing. They might be giants, like, you know, song, songs in the background. Oh, and wow. I didn't really know them um, until I heard them on Tiny Toons Adventures as well. You yeah, know, yeah. so when I heard their songs playing, I'm like, oh, my God, this is from the cartoon. And yeah. so all okay, of us see. were kind of like, oh, yeah, this is the song from, you know, like, you know, Constantinople. We're like, oh, my God, we're like dancing to it. <laughs> and so that's funny. Wow. That's how we knew as the kids. And like the adults were like, oh, these are catchy songs. But again, as a child, I didn't know that this is the album we're doing the cover for. Even though, again, we yeah. were holding a sign for. The, you could actually yeah. see them holding the, that, the banner. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, so... <laughs> it says they might be giants. <laughs> yeah, so now we know. But I was going to say the cover image, what I was going to yeah. say about that, I remember we were all, like, they were cleaning up for the night, getting ready, and last minute, um, someone came out with a big old toolbox of, like, old oh. tools. Oh. And he was just like, hold on, hold on, guys, hold on, guys. And we were, like, you know, almost getting out of our clothes, but he was like, don't take out, you know, just like... so. He each gave us, like, an old hammer, like, a wrench. Right. And he just kind of started taking photos of us in that pose. So, like, the way the girl mm-hmm. was posing, he just kind of took us photos of us in a circle. And we're just oh, okay. over the camera taking a photo. And th- that was really done really quickly. That might have been done wow. Wow. within, like, 10, 15 minutes. So you think there was, like, alternate photos that are similar to the cover, but, like, with each kid, including you. With each kid, yeah. Hmm. We each took a photo similar to that. But again, that was done really last minute because everyone else, because if you look at her, uh, she looks kind of like, remember by then we were like running around. (laughs) We were taking photos all day. That was literally done the last 20, 10, 15 She's like, I'm ready to go home. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, What I love about the cover about her is like, she has this like really serious look. Kind of haunted. (laughs) Yeah, like a haunting look. But I love that it's because she's tired. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. I didn't even think that this was going to be used for the album because I thought he just looked, he's like, oh, I have to do something else. Mm -hmm. I even told people like, I was like, I bet you, you know, the whole time he had this like, elaborate theme for like all oh, this like scene where he was like it's gonna be us in the woods and then he probably had these photos of us holding um the tools and maybe the band was like oh 
like, these are cool. Right, that's yeah. the one. That's yeah. the yeah. one. Let's use that. But again, it's my own speculation, but it felt like that at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So when the album came out, do you remember, do you have a memory of that? Or was that even, you had done so much modeling, you, it didn't matter, you know, like. Just throw it in the pile. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know when it came out until maybe like two, three, eight years later. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And uh, until you're getting a little older, because like, by then I was like, um, I was like, yeah, I, I remember I was on an album and, <laughs> yeah. and I remember it was like. John Henry, and everyone's like, John Henry. And so it was me doing the research, and then that's when I connected it to They Might Be Giants. Yeah, like, do you ever find yourself in, like, a record store, and you're, like, just, you're like, hey, there I am? Kind yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I would do. I should just yeah. sign it, be like, that's the girl, I'm the girl with the skull. Yeah, <laughs> you should. We also talked to her about the uh, Back to Skull cover, but I'm going to save that, Dave, for when we talk about Back to Skull. Fair enough. Did you enjoy that conversation with Scarlett Kim? I'm asking all of you out there, uh, please... If you did, why not uh, give us a good review on <laughs> on Apple Podcast? And why not just why not tell people about the show and what how much you enjoy you? it? You selfish pricks! Next time you're oh, looking sorry. at your next time you're looking at your phone, you know, just and you know you're gonna do it. Spacing out, go to Apple Podcast and click on the little uh, stars there. But seriously, thank you, Scarlett. We'll be hearing more from you. And uh, Scarlett also gave us some really cool stuff that we're going to share on our Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. Hey, so, hey, hey, hey. Uh, once again, when you're, <laughs> if you're looking at your phone, go to our Twitter and look at those things I'm going to post. You're going to it's going to blow your minds. Yes. You know, Dave, uh, huh? just <laughs> talking about an album, an album is nothing without the tracks. <laughs> I just figured this out. So let's talk about track one. Subliminal. <laughs> Subliminal. Let's do it. What an opener. Whoa. What an album album opener. What a mensch. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of menches. Yeah, wow. Okay. I, I one thing I want to get Do you have a lot to say about I, this? <laughs> yes, I do. I've had a lot to say about this for a long time. Should I take a walk? No, I want you I'm there next up my to me. Sleeves. Like, like Jesus' footsteps. I want Dave next to me on that on the beach, right beside me. I'm here, on baby. This journey. I'm here to guide you. Um, so the the thing that jumps out to me that is very important to talk about with Subliminal is it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a trick because the first thing you hear is like that old school. They might be Giants accordion, right? And there's not a lot of accordion on this album, but the, putting it as the first thing you hear to me is a very and maybe it just worked out this way. Maybe I, I don't know. It's a very uh, self conscious thing of like. Where they might be giants. Sure. Here's our accordion. But then those real drums come in and you're like, what what? Right. <laughs> and then the guitar and bass at the same time, which I thought you know, I my memory was that each thing came in at once. Right. And but no, the guitar and bass come in, which gives a really heavy sound. And it's sort yeah. of like I said with the mixing, the bass is kind of mixed in where it almost sounds like it's part of the guitars in a way. Like they kind yeah. of mush together. I don't mean that in a bad way. Well, it's very powerful. 
huge guitars come in. Yeah. Under those guitars is this big, warm bass. bass tone. Double drums. Double drums. Let's talk about that a little. Because so if you listen to our Brian Doherty episode, he talks about the origins of that. And so yeah. go back and listen. But I just I had to just put a clip of the song that that's referencing because that's just well, what we do here. Um, Brian Doherty, the drummer, the unbelievable drummer. Not He's like maybe album. the best drummer ever. <laughs> I really liked Brian's drumming. Um, a great drummer. He great made, guy. He had the idea for Hi, the, Brian. <laughs> he had he had the idea for the two drum kits at once. Yeah. One's in the right ear, one's in the left ear. And I never heard of that before talking to him, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. Because they do sound different. Yeah. They sound special. There's something, yeah, there's something a little weird and off about it. What I noticed, though, is the kick is still centered. So is it, is it like choosing one of the kicks? Like, how does that work? Hmm. I don't get it. He said that he he based that on the song Message of Love by The Pretenders. Listen to our Brian Doherty interview. We go so yeah. in-depth about the recording of John Henry. Got nine hours but to Dave, spare? <laughs> Dave, this is about you and me, though. It's always been about you this and me. This is about... Mano a mano. So Subliminal starts with this kind of knowing thing about this is a band. And I really do think introducing the instruments almost like one at a time is, is also yes. like, uh, you know, it's very intentional, I think. I agree with you. Um, it's a perfect track, one... It's and they've even years later they started playing it. They started opening shows yeah. with it. We saw them do that, and we yes. were like, "Whoa!" Great. I think Fabulous. they they know that it's a great opener. It's funny with Subliminal. Um, the music is so simple. What <laughs> is it? It's really smashing. It's just smashing these guitar chords, yeah. and it's it's all it's all playing like the same note. All right, how's the song go? It's A. It's just like a giant A chord for the whole thing. Got some A chord fans. But the bass, I What's noticed, the bass doing, is Dave? doing a lot of different shit. That's actually sculpting the melody in a kind of different way. What's like what? It's doing a lot of passing tones and like runs and stuff. And I'm wondering if that was a conscious decision of the band of the Johns or the bass player doing his own thing. Mm -hmm. Because it does to me, like, especially on the chorus where it's subliminal, do, 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 like that's changing mm -hmm. the chorus instead of just doing wow. subliminal, uh, oh. one chord, one note. It's, of, it's filling in the holes really well because it's like subliminal. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Kind of like, you know, Violent Femmes if Brian Ritchie is doing a run yeah. that really changes kind of the melody. And what is a run? Uh, a couple of notes together that sort of fill out what the chords of the guitar are doing. Okay. Kind of like an arpeggio almost. Yeah. Could be. I'm probably explaining that wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, we should say the bass player, Tony Maimomi, yeah. he was from Pear Ubu, which is like this. I, try, I listen to some other stuff. It's very weird. A band I know that the They Might Giants were big, you know, really into. We put 
we had taken a couple of months to put the show together. We didn't really, we hadn't calculated how it would go over. I think the bands that we were into that were our, probably our biggest immediate influences were Perubu and The Residents. And both of those bands kind of, you know, as, as interesting as they are, they don't have a very direct relationship with their audience. You know, when, they're, when they perform, there's, there's a kind of an art school distance Tony Maimomi plays bass on almost every song on John Henry. He's just incredible. I don't know what to say. What yeah. will you say about a guy like this? I think he has a real presence on this album, and it oh, yeah. adds a lot to the songs. Yes. And that's why I'm wondering how much of that has worked out, because they're mm-hmm. such a controlled band. And I know when they're doing their usual albums, they're programming the bass yeah. lines, and they're, or you know, playing a real bass, whatever, but they're doing all that themselves. So were they writing those bass lines? I always Was wonder he- that doing it as well was it both we'll have to talk to him one day yes. I've, tr- I've been trying actually but I, I still think in general it's it's one of their more like simple yeah musically sure. songs yeah. but it's it's like i guess you could say deceptively simple yeah. um in that it's like there's a lot of like subtle things going on with like the way the vocals are produced right. the that guitar sound is huge and fills that fills everything out really well and the the double drums are obviously like a right. it's not like an ipalodrome eye or something like that though yeah where there's yeah. just like all these parts and it's like this intricate arrangement yeah. it's not an intricate it's arrangement. more straightforward yeah which goes with with the the themes of the in the right. song i think yeah i want to talk about that main vocal that comes in because the thing about like they might be giants vocals i feel like on almost every other album they're way more uh, nasal <laughs> and like mm, more troubly. Someone I knew, an old coworker, used to say he hated the kind of big, <laughs> big head produ- production style. Yeah, where you have a giant head and then a little band under it, <laughs> meaning just the vocals are yeah. so loud. Well, that's like how pop music is mixed usually. Yes, and this album, like your Beyonces and so forth. Yeah, John Henry is mixed in a way that's just like it really feels like the the vocals are like. It's like you you can you can hear them, but they're not they're not stealing attention, yeah. and they're not a, they're a billion times louder mm-hmm. than everything else. They're really with, and I really try to do this with my I, honestly. When I make albums, I listen to John Henry a lot because hmm. I want my albums yeah, to sound great. to sound like that mix. You know, I always love lowering my voice on albums. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear that. It's a really delicate thing because if you put it too low, it, it sounds like a mistake, <laughs> and if it's too high, it's just. I don't know. Awful. It's not the worst. Cause, um, I'm just speaking for myself. Here. You kind of get used to it with, with most songs, but like I, I just prefer the rock band sound of yeah. like, no, the voice is one of the instruments in this yeah. thing. Like It's not that much louder than the guitars and everything else. Um, but there's a real warmth to his vocal here that's almost, I mean, it, it definitely feels like a conscious production choice because I think they had to like actually really crank up the warmth. Yeah. Cause that most, is that a button on the <laughs> console? It's definitely a button, and <laughs> it's just that usually doesn't come through in a mix. Yeah. Like, usually the bass and the other stuff covers that up. So it's really mixed in a way where it's like, no, listen to this, like, very up close, like, when I get hit, you know, yeah. it's like super bassy, warm. Yeah, his voice is deeper, vocal. too, it's for the deep. first line. Yeah, and then the chorus comes in, and it's suddenly a totally different feel. It's got a lot of reverb, and it's more like the Linnell yeah. sound and we've heard before. But what's interesting is that I think it's the lead vocal that's doing what sounds like the harmony, because it's like a different Linnell comes in sort of and goes like subliminal and he's like subliminal. Right. Which, I to me, yeah, yeah. Which, which to me is like the sound of the lead. So there's a lot of interest. There's like. Deci- Interesting. There's actually complex stuff with the vocals yeah. in this song where it's like, oh, the chorus is 
is almost like the harmony and the harmony is the lead vocal mic or whatever. That's at least Up what it sounds down. like. <laughs> Left is right. We have to talk about the lyrics, unfortunately. We have to, <laughs> legally. So this is awkward, but car crashes, Dave. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was thinking about this today. Let's let's talk about car crashes. <sighs> What's your favorite car crash? <laughs> well, that would have to be when I got hit by a car. Yeah, I wanted to talk about <laughs> our car crash stories. So well, know, well, let me just you know say that, first, right? the, the reason we're talking about this, the, the lyrics in Subliminal are about a car crash and the lyrics in, I believe, seven John Henry songs are all about car crashes or yeah. at least a, a, allude to a car crash at some point in the song. Um, this is, I'd call that enough to be a theme. Like to me, seven songs on an that's album is, is almost enough. Almost half. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's spread out. So it keeps coming back. Yeah. It goes away. It comes back. It also, it bookends the album too, the car crash yeah. theme. So it's, it's. To me, it's like, it's funny because when they're, when they're asked about these things, they're always like, oh, it's not intentional. Yeah. But it's just like, there, there must be, it must come up at some point. Someone had a car crash on their mind. Yeah. Um, I do have this one. There is this one quote where they, um, they're asked in, a, in an interview, this was around John Henry, about transportation being a theme. And all Linnell says is, there's certain words you end up using when you try to say something interesting. There are certain nouns that I think of as very ordinary, like car that seem to work well in the kinds of songs we write. So that's the reason. It's not that the subjects are particularly dear to us as they are kinds of subjects that function well and they might be giant songs. We just like to talk about ordinary stuff, mm -hmm. sort of quotidian type things. The everyday things are things that you can never hear enough about in songs. And there are a lot of things that seem like ordinary everyday things, but no one seems to sing about them. So they're appealing in that way. Yeah, but I think that TMBG twist is the ordinary with the morbid wrapped into it. With death. I mean, right. to me, this album is all is, well, there's actually a few themes on this album. Yeah. I think one of them, I think one of them is about youth culture in the 90s. Hmm. Another is about death and car crashes, um, whether these are intentional themes or not. Before we talk about our car crashes, I just wanted to <laughs> introduce that. This has been like a long running theme for They Might Be Giants. In the 80s, they used to do a thing called the car crash live. Right. We're going to divide the room in half. Everyone to the left of, of this part, everyone over here is the beginning of the car crash. Everybody over here is the end of the car crash. It goes in dead. quick succession. You want to be what? Be okay, you can be the dead guy. You just be quiet. And, um, okay, everyone over here on the left, everyone on the left, go, everybody over here go, bang, and the dead guy just remains completely quiet throughout. All right, so in quick succession, the car crash, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, let's do a more high-speed, high-tech kind of car crash. How about twice as loud, please? Okay, uh, tighten up the bang to the... In really quick succession. Okay. They have the craziest drivers down here. One more time, please. Once again. Okay. All right, we're going to do the 360 now. This is dangerous. Uh, you'd go, and then they go bang, okay? In quick succession. And the dead man remains silent. Let's hear it for the dead guy. Let's have a big round of applause for the dead guy over in the right-hand corner of the room. 
Feeling a little alienated, a little bit strange, and a little bit put down. For sure. So yeah, I mean, I think back then doing that to an audience is like a, like a funny, morbid, yeah, strange yeah. thing. There's a really morbid version where they change it to plane crashes, and he starts telling Yikes. them to be specific ones, <laughs> and he's naming recent plane crashes that were in the news. It's very dark. Flansburg is a wow. very dark sense of humor that I think a lot of it gets hit in, but <laughs> I think especially is not that hidden. I think especially '80s Flansburg was yeah. super uh, dark, which I love. Okay, in quick succession, maybe a 45 mile an hour car crash. You're at the beginning, you're at the end. This is how it goes. Okay, let's do it a little bit louder, a little bit faster, more like real life. Okay, uh, you guys gotta tighten it up a little bit. Okay, that was perfect. Okay, they're getting out the plasma now. Car crashes has been a theme and they might be giants for a while. Tra cars in general. Sure. I mean, the first album cover is all these is like parade of cars. You know, touring band. That's right. That's right. And especially, there's a lot more cars on the brain when they become sure. a big touring act and have to drive around the country. Hi, Allison. Hello. Uh, this is from Mr. Linnell. Hi. I, I saw you guys last week. Um, you guys are great. And I wanted to know when you look into the audience, can you see the audience? Because people are always saying how you meet their eyes. And I was uh -huh. wondering if you can actually see them. Uh, yeah, I think we, you know, we, we actually have this new set in our stage show now where we have these street lights. They're actual street lights recovered from automobile accidents that, that our lighting guy uh, has rigged up for us. And they enable us to actually see the, the first, you know, 10 or so rows of people, which is, you know, it's nice. I think when we started out, we were more freaked out about like having you know really staring our audience down for the whole show and now we've we've learned we've grown up and we've learned how to handle it did people make it through the accident on those little poles i have no idea you know it's we i guess we'd have to examine the <laughs> poles to figure it out but yeah dave what's your what's your <laughs> would i you guess have it's a car, a car crash, story? crash but i mean a car crashed into me what, walking yeah, what happened <laughs> i was 15 and i had started a new high school which was my dad's high school that he taught at Mm. And it was a couple of weeks into like the semester and uh, I was walking in Manhattan and at a crosswalk, someone hit me with their car <laughs> and it was crazy. It was the weirdest sensation. Really? Because you, you've never been hit by a car walking, right? No. I didn't mean a car walking. I meant you walking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never been hit by a car. So, well, I'll say I was crossing with the, the crosswalk. <laughs> so <laughs> um, this was completely the lady's fault. Yeah. Oh yeah, no one. It's basically one minute you're walking, yeah, and the next minute you're flying through the air. You were flying through yes, the air. Yes, I moved without uh, meaning to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's almost like a huge giant guy like pushing you. Hmm, like, that's it, happened to me. It, it just feels like a wall is pushing you, yeah. and you go flying. So I I landed on my butt. So it wasn't a love tap. Uh, no, it was <laughs> hatred. <laughs> yeah, and um, this is not. Uh, an exaggeration when I oh while I when I was getting up two teachers that worked at the school happened to be passing by so they're oh, just wow. they must have seen it Witness, and I, I was very confused I was like what just happened <laughs> like this doesn't this doesn't make sense I read this a lot in my day job because I yeah I edit court reports of people talking well, about we, getting hit we by cars had to go to court all the time that's so I've I've read people say the same thing that you're saying yeah that they all of a sudden are like, whoa, where am I? What the fuck just happened? Yeah, How I'm sure did there was a little bit of shock, but... Um, <laughs> this so, is not my beautiful wife. Right. But this is not an exaggeration. The first thing I said to her, she got out of her car and I said, are you a bad driver or do you just hate kids? Yeah. 
<laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny that considering funny. it was the first thing that came to mind. It's got to be one or the other. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was really funny because my dad worked at the school. So when I got to school, I was like, yeah, I got hit by a car. So let me, well, but what in one second, you're, you're not injured. You're. I don't know how mm. I wasn't more hurt. I mean, my tailbone hurt. Yes. And I, I think it was maybe bruised or something, but my dad was like, what? <laughs> like, wow. I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm fine. Um, but my dad's like, uh, let's go to the emergency room and have you checked out or whatever and yeah. check me out. I was like, although years later when my back was having problems, Whoa. the physical therapist suggested that this is like residual effects from <laughs> He saw like years an indent of like a Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's this thing on your... Oh, I should say the woman that um, hit me, by the way, was yeah. an off-duty police officer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I kind of buried the lead with that one. And we did go to court, but she never showed up. So I guess we won. But how come I don't have any money then? So that's the only thing that makes me interesting. Wow. That's my story. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, you got into a car crash? Yeah, I've been in a few. I've been in a lot of minor ones. Fender benders? No, I in Connecticut with my fiance and her sister and her sister's... Uh, Mister? No, <laughs> the opposite. Her sister's girlfriend at the time. We were turning left onto yeah. a road in Connecticut and a car... I saw a car in the rearview mirror. I saw yeah. a big, like a pickup truck speeding at us, like in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And in my mind, you're thinking, well, they're going to stop yeah. or slow down or go around us. You're just thinking like, well, they have to. Right. But at the very last second, it, it hit me. No, I shouldn't say that. Use that term. At the very last second, it occurred to me. Like he's not stopping, so yeah. I, I, and I think this sa like literally saved us from being really injured. Mm -hmm. Is I, I stepped on the uh, the gas and started yeah. moving. Then he slammed into us from the back, yeah. and he he crushed the back of the car like an accordion. Yeah. So yeah, the car was totaled. None of us got hurt, which is crazy. As far as I remember, I remember um, one of one person was saying her neck hurt. But when she said that, the guy from the pickup truck was like, now don't you start trying to... Like, he wow. was accusing her of lying. He was very... He was very animated. <laughs> Sounds like it. And upset and very uh, defensive. And that's because he smashed into us and sure. it was his fault. It was really scary and weird. I've been in little minor things. Uh, I, once, I once almost hit a guy... I hit the back of a guy's car, like his bumper, like a little tap, and he got out of the car yeah. and slammed his hand on the window, the side, my driver window. Wow. Got back in his car and drove away. He just went like, boom. He just had so to get like, it out. Yeah, he just got it out. That was scary. Yeah. <laughs> he was a big guy. Every guy, to me, is a big guy. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that was scary, too. But yeah, so... So good fodder for a song. Yeah, this is our point, I guess. So, yeah, subliminal. The lyrics are, are sort of like the music. They're deceptively simple. Yeah, when I was looking at the lyrics today, I was like, oh, there's like no lyrics to this song. I have a thing like I love songs with very few lyrics. Yeah, because there's something it seems like there's a lot, but there wasn't. They're so evocative. I love like Pixies. A lot of early Pixies is like mm. there's like very few lyrics. Sometimes there's a few words, a few words. Um to me, that just like opens up your mind to like yeah. so. I don't know. It, it Open op your mind. It opens Wade. up the possibilities. So I, I love this song. Something we we have to discuss with this is that this is a collaboration between yep. Flans and Linnell. Sure is Jordan. Um, this is what Flansburg said about that. So he says there's a couple of songs on the album that were done with finished lyrics being handed off. This is the only one like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know why he says a couple. 
the, I'm almost positive, but because I think we would have known by now if. Hmm. But anyway, he says that's a totally new horizon for us and remarkably efficient in a way because you write a lyric presupposing that it's going to fit a song. It's almost hypothetical. You're just working with the very standard notion of how the metric part of putting together lyrics works figuring, well, this will fit, and then the person write, writes the music that's already complete and bounces off lyrics. That's true. Do, do you write lyrics first when you write a song? That is a good question. I think it's different every song. Yeah. A lot of the times I'll have a melody that fits certain words or a certain phrase will come into my head. That's the average way for me. Yeah. But there's a lot of my songs where I was just up at the keyboard really late at night and a bunch of lyrics like vomit out of me like yeah. bleh. And then it's really hard actually to be like, oh, now I have to fit this. It's easier to have the music first. Yeah. Well, that's the best when it happens that way. And yeah. then there's other times where I'll just think of some lines and I'll be like, well, this could be a song. There's, there's enough of an idea here yeah. for more elaboration. Mm-hmm. So my answer is all the ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then Flansburg gets specific about someone. He goes, I gave a sheet of lyrics to John and he went through them and figured out which ones were interesting. Subliminal was one of the tracks we cooked yeah. up that way. It just had very simple words. It had two verses basically hmm. and the word subliminal as the primary part of the chorus. So yeah, the, the fact that Flansburg wrote these lyrics is and Linnell wrote the music is is great. Do you think they sound more like Flansburg lyrics to you? No, that's the thing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have known, right? I mean, they're... they're yeah, me neither. And also the other thing, I, I, this is like such a big topic with this album, but the lyrics on John Henry in, in general, they're a little more direct. Yeah. They're more like, here's a story or here's a, here's a car, here's a guy. <laughs> yeah. And like, they're not as um, confusing and weird. There's definitely some confusing songs. I mean, I, I honestly think this was like a big jump for them in terms of we're going to write lyrics that are not as completely full of very hard to figure out riddles and wordplay. And like there's touches of that throughout the right. album. But I feel like John Henry was them. Uh, to me, it's like a seismic shift in their lyric style. You know, seismic. Seismic. Wow. Yeah. I really feel like this, this, that's the dividing line because I, I feel like from Apollo 18 and before they had one style of lyrics and yeah. from John Henry and post it's just it's they're a little more um the lyrics are I mean, they're a little more down to earth do you honestly. think it was just getting too hard to write like that all <laughs> the time i, I, mean, I think so i i don't know how much it comes to them naturally or how much they really have to work have it to out try it yeah i know you know yeah i i actually think it, it, it is because it's hard yeah. yeah so subliminal has like pretty like straight ahead lyrics but what i love about subliminal is i love stuff about dreams and dreaminess and it is straight ahead but there's a lot of room to put yourself in the mm -hmm. situation yeah like it, it's saying it's not complicated is not exactly true because it's mm -hmm. it's a broad topic yes and that can be a very individualized experience for that mm -hmm. and that can make it complicated because saying something is subliminal in an unnoticeable way <laughs> is it hot <laughs> yeah are you hot or am i just spitting too much truth and it's like <laughs> it's a big topic yeah. you know that you can think a lot on so i don't know if it's it's not like a simple thing to mm -hmm. talk about necessarily oh, but sure. they're not over explaining it or yeah, giving you a, a, a bunch of riddles about it yeah and there's not a lot there's there's not a lot of references yeah. and, you know things that we usually uh i usually mine for material on the podcast and the lyrics are actually even more simple because it's the same sentiment each time he's just changing car to bed yeah, so I think what's interesting about that is that it's, you know, it implies was the car crash a dream or does he wish it was a dream? <laughs> you know, it's like you don't, I, there's something. I just thought he was in the hospital after. Oh, the hospital. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, maybe you're right. 
I assume that's it's the guy from Destination Moon, maybe. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, it's all connected. It all connects. There's also like the thing that I love about the lyrics being so mysterious is like, what did he notice? Yeah. It just it leaves so much open to the imagination yeah. and to like. It's very honestly to me, it's like very Lynchian this yeah, kind of yeah. thing where it's like the idea is the the feeling it gives you and the the, the imagery yeah. and the feeling. It's not so much a specific story where it's like right. follow these clues. That's why I said it's more complicated than it seems. So in the second verse, well, first musically, they don't add too much except a hand claps, right? Like yeah. hand claps come in. I was actually, for some reason, it sounds like the second verse gets, gets, gets so much bigger. And I'm like, Did, are there instruments added? And I can't even tell. Like maybe they threw on another guitar or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The um, only thing I noticed was that really loud bass that yeah. connects chorus one to verse two. Oh, really? With the stops and starts, the do, 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 do. You know what I'm talking about? No, let's listen to that. Another thing about that accordion sound, which I forgot to say, it's like he's, I'm pretty sure it's like he's doing the bass chord, he's doing the buttons, Mm -hmm. he's doing everything on the accordion, which really becomes like like a little orchestra when you use both hands. Uh, He's doing like the full thing and it's sort of in stereo too, which it's like, I don't know if he overdubbed it or if he just had two mics going in stereo, but um, second verse, hand claps come in, which is, hand claps are funny because to me they're like, a joyous thing in a <laughs> pop song like now we're all together yeah. but this they come in and it's like it's dark and it's yeah. it's kind of weird right yeah. yeah as i went through the pillow that's like an interesting line though because yeah. does he mean he's just kind of puts his face into a pillow or does <laughs> did something more mystical happen like like in in a dream like kind of when you're like uh half asleep or coming yeah. out of a dream things feel so weird i mean that's how it happens with me i assume yeah. everyone <laughs> has the same i don't actually chrissy talks about that all the time where she's like oh, oh i was half asleep and i was talking and i'm like i'm either awake or asleep I guess I'm just really? a very black and white guy. <laughs> I've never had that experience where it's like you see something in the room or you oh talk to God. someone or whatever. That happens to me I'm all just the like, time. No, right? I'm awake. It's usually terrifying. It's yeah. It's uh, what is that? Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Yeah, yeah, I've never. Um, I've I can only think of one. I think it's fake. Time where that might have happened to me yeah. as a kid, uh, which is like a very vivid memory where the nightmare I was having was, it was like projected onto my ceiling mm-hmm. as I was lying in bed. This is my memory. Mm-hmm. I I swear that I. How act- old were you? Thirty-seven. <laughs> it might have been ten. Okay. So I I woke up. On, I'm on my back. I'm looking at the ceiling. It's nighttime, and the nightmare I was having, which was that this scary monster from this mm-hmm. movie that scared me. I won't say which one. Why not? I'm afraid people are gonna post it <laughs> and scare me today. You're much older now, though. That I'm still scare scared. I, I actually almost looked up a clip of it, and I stopped myself. Can you tell me scared. off the air? No, because you'll make fun of me because it's a kid's movie. <laughs> That's why I want to know, so I can make fun of you. I'm afraid to say it. It's like the great Muppet caper or something. <laughs> It's something that's for kids that's not a horror movie. Yeah. I'll say that. It's not a scary... Okay, I'll say this. It's a it's a cartoon movie for kids. Very cheap animation. Very, you know, just a crappy direct-to-video thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for Aladdin. S- for some reason, it has a terrifying sequence in the middle. <laughs> this monster from this one scary part of this movie mm-hmm. was coming down from my ceiling like right. slowly rot, rot. like walking kind of in the air at me and mm-hmm. i was frozen yeah. and i was very conscious like i was yeah, like i was paralysis. like i'm in bed like i yeah. was like how am i seeing this and it was a thing i remember thinking like this this is happening like i'm seeing this hmm. 
and I, I shut my eyes really tight and yeah. opened them again and it was gone and I was awake. I mean, I know it happens. I've never yeah. experienced it myself. I guess I should be thankful There's for like that. documentaries about it. happens to Chrissy it, like- It scares me too much. A couple times a month. Jeez. I don't know, or unless she's lying. <laughs> <laughs> Why would she? Okay, I don't yeah. know, for attention. <laughs> yeah, she wants sleep to be an exciting story to tell you. Um, maybe, maybe twice a month is an exaggeration, but more than I've ever heard anyone else go through it. There's like things where people like draw what they see and it's like too scary. I don't know, hmm. honestly, it freaks me out because sleep paralysis, it's almost like, it's almost like, take like tripping or something where you're like are they tapping into something that we don't know about yeah, yeah. you know like it freaks me out too much it's the other dimension it's like the fucking hell us. dimension that they're yeah. like they gain access to for one second hell dimension's afraid of me jordan <laughs> um so anyway subliminal uh, it, it becomes it's about that <laughs> it really captures that feeling though yeah of like just waking up from a nightmare being jolted awake does that happen to you do you get jolted do you get jolted jerry you ever jolt <laughs> Um, I mean, listen. I've been jilted. I've been. I, I got nothing. Um, I my dreams every night are all anxiety based. They're all nightmares. Yeah. I, I'm just used to it. I've never had a good dream. But I do think, you jolt awake life. from it, or, or do you wake up and you're like, huh? I think this the latter. Because <laughs> I I jolt I've jolted awake a lot, and it's the worst feeling. I feel like that's what this song is capturing. Yeah, yeah. Is that feeling of like, whoa, I fucking woke up. I like, because part of you're physically still in the nightmare because you're jolting awake. She jolted. She definitely jolted. I've had jolt. I've had jolt awakes. That's what I call them. When yeah. um like there's a bunch of I've had dreams where there's like a million bugs in the room, and I'll jolt awake, being like, oh, and I'll start wiping them off, and I'll be like, oh god, it's not real. Like it's really right. weird. I will say I took a nap a few weeks ago, it might even be a couple of months ago, where I, some, I don't know what I was dreaming about, but I tensed in the dream in a sort of half awake, half dream thing. That's why I said it almost never happens. Yeah, sure. My calf muscle hurt so much, probably because I had like a Charlie oh, horse or that something. that me all the time. But I was also half asleep and I was in the dream like, is this going to, is this pain going to last forever? And my calf was killing me and my elbow hurt. And my elbow still hurts. Wow. And I was like, so now even sleep hurts me. Oh, well, that's so my... So what do I do now? <laughs> that's the story of my life. No, I, I'm... So I'm a very tense sleeper. I often wake up and the... um. Actually, this is almost every day. The blanket is in a ball. Somehow... Oh, yeah, I, me too. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know other people. So somehow at night, I crumple up the blanket in a, in a little ball. Blanket ballers. <laughs> <laughs> that's our bowling team. And I sleep in... I, it's Fetal position isn't even the name. It's like... The Jordan position. It's like a fucking like crunched up... It's like someone crumpled me up like garbage and threw me on the bed. That's how I sleep. I'm wow. It's almost... I mean, not to preview. It's like a snail. It's like a spiral where I'm like in a fucking... And speaking of snail shells... <laughs> no, we're not up to it yet, unfortunately. Oh, damn it. A little bit more. But anyway, let, let's go to the end of the song because the end of the song is a Tour de force. It's layered. So Linnell's doing the chorus, and then he keeps doing the chorus, and you've got Flansburg comes in on the left side, and this is one of my favorite. The like, evil side. Well, he's left-handed, so it works, right? Wow. Um, this is one of my favorite vocal resonances of Flansburg. I love the harmony in the song. It's like a perfect use of his voice, because even though there's like four other Linnells, mm -hmm. for some reason, they're like, well, this one has to be Flansburg. And maybe that's like mixing, like, oh, it'll pop out mm -hmm. in a different way. It's his tambour. His tambour is Jeffrey Tambour. Yes. Yeah. So he, he comes in going, doing his thing. <laughs> they're doing his thing. Yeah. He's doing his thing. Doing it. Um, it. So I tried to like map them out. So there's the main vocal, yeah. which is like, which I would call the warm Bassy vocal, so he's like staring to the like really warm right up to the oh, mic. Yeah, like even staring at me while you're doing yeah. it. Yeah, and then 
he's like stare into the and in the back you've got the latter one subliminal yeah. but then you've got one on the right linnell on the right going like stare into the and then there's a pause subliminal and all these things on nice. top of each other thank you all these things on top of each other make like a really amazing collage. It almost sounds like there's more than there are. Cause I actually tried to, be, I tried to listen really close and be like, are there like other voices there? Because, it, but it, it's really just the timing of everything. Would you call it a soundscape? <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> no further questions. It's one of the coolest things they've ever done. It's yeah. it's very and again, this sort of goes with what we're saying. Like this isn't a normal rock song. I mean, it, yeah. may, maybe it is, but like to me, this is like as interesting and, and you know has enough. It's like, not about drinking brews on a Friday night, you know. Yeah, this isn't like like there's a lot of talk about John Henry being like the more normal album, which which it is compared to something like Apollo 18. But there's still so many creative ideas and there, there's yeah. still so many ambitious things. And Subliminal has a lot of ideas. One of the big ones is the end of the song. Yeah. It doesn't really have an ending. It kind of it like doesn't end in a way, which is scary, right? It's almost like a, a, a dream that keeps repeating, that recurring yeah. dream that you have. That I'm stuck in a podcast. <laughs> yeah. 0.7 WFNX, that is They Might Be Giants, a tune we've never heard before, recorded uh, at Bearsville. Yep, And right. uh, one more time, the name of the song was? Subliminal. And um, let's talk about the, the backwards drums there at the end. That We had to hire a professional backwards drummer for, who's with us here. Brian. Brian All live. So All you, live. do you physically turn the tape over and then yeah, do it? Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's harder to do with digital machines. Unfortunately, we were working on analog machines, but you just literally flip the tape over and, and uh, it goes backwards and it sounds really wild. Well, actually, we do. There's a song on our first album called "Hideaway Folk Family" that has a section at the end of it where we're singing, and the singing goes like, and we're just singing as if we're pretending that we're singing back. Oh, so they actually didn't flip it? No, we didn't. We didn't. You're just fooling with people's minds here. People are always asking us what we're. People are always asking us what what that part you know means. What's what's being said? They listen to it backwards and they go, "I can't tell what they're saying." They try to play it like a different way. Brian Doherty is, he's pounding the kick drum and he sounds like he's ending the song and then it starts yeah. reversing back. Wow, that was a really good impression. Thank you. I've been Did you practice? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> um, That's really impressive. He starts rever. It starts. Re- he doesn't start reversing, but it starts <laughs> reversing, and the song just starts playing backwards from that point. Yeah. So the idea uh, in this in this clip I play, uh, Linnell men- when they do the song live, Linnell makes a joke about backwards masking. It's called.
and backwards masking is pretty much the first time this happened, I think, was the Beatles, the Beatles. song yeah. Rain. So Rain just has a part where it's just Lennon saying yeah. something and then put it backwards on the end of the song and it adds to the dreamy feel of Rain. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works for the, again, like, I mean, dreamy might, is not, a, you know, it's an intentional word I'm saying, because mm-hmm. this song to me is, is meant to be dreamy. Yeah. And it's subliminal. That's right. <laughs> and just, and also, so there's another, there's another joke there with subliminal, which is that people, the whole backwards masking thing became this big controversy in pop music where people yeah. were worried that there was subliminal messages happening. About worshiping the devil. About worshiping the devil or Paul being dead, which someone this one guy thought it said that and for some reason it blew up as this huge thing i thought he was dead i just saw him uh, two weeks ago he was very that's, much that's very much alive i think that's not the original <laughs> it was one a hologram it was bringing it back it was a look-alike and a sound alike you sound so ignorant right now <laughs> but anyway so the this there's kind of like a pop music history joke happening yeah. at the end of the song which is that it's it's a backwards masking and in the song is called subliminal and it's like making reference to this kind of big thing that happened in music, which maybe we're so far past that it's kind of was funny at the time in 1994 to joke, to make a reference to it. But there was taken very seriously for a while. Like, what are (laughs) they saying? And then, you know, they did Beatles did Revolution 9, which I think was just to be like, oh, you thought (laughs) that was crazy and had a bunch of scary shit? Sort through this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like they might be giants doing fingertips. Like, well, here's a billion things to try to figure out. (laughs) I mean, I feel like really big they might be giants fans could like even sing it like, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, they might be giants do a lot of fun backward stuff. I wanted to just talk about that, their history without a little... So yeah, I, I thought like subliminal has a lot of like interesting ideas going on. It has it has like that great ambiguous Lynchian quality to it. I don't use that word lightly. Some do. Some people are just like, yo, these crackers are Lynchian. <laughs> Do you mean white people? No, I meant crackers. <laughs> like the, Some of the, them are. I was trying to think of a boring food. That's what people say about They Might Be Giants. <laughs> These crackers are Lynchian. I'll say this as a track one. It, it, you know, a lot of They Might Be Giants albums have a great track one. I'd say most of them. But John Henry might be the the one the most where I, where I if I'm like, do I feel like listening to John Henry? And I like put it on. I'm Pop just, that in. I'm just like, oh my God, and you hear yes. It's their smells like teen spirit. Wait, wait. There you go. Wait, I lost it. Dave's really impressed right now. He can't believe it. I think we're petering out. Petering out. Petering out. Yeah. Petering out. Hey. Petering out. Okay. Hey. Let's go to track two. Snail shall. You should do that with me. <laughs> I think it's better if you just do it. That's right. Just like the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Who's Sir Hand? <laughs> I actually was gonna say, you ever hear of Sir Hand, Sir Hand? That sounds familiar. Sir Hand, Sir Hand is a man who uh, assassinated Robert F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kristen was telling me she always thought that's what the first <laughs> line was saying, uh. <laughs> Sir Hand. But no, he's saying Sir Hand. But before we get to that, Dave, do you like Snail Shell? I do. I like all the songs on this album. Yeah, okay, so okay. I guess I can't really True. be too discerning. It's probably, if I had to rank them, I wouldn't say it's the higher ones i'd say the same thing um but it's still a great song it's a great song but it's it's funny it's funny that it's the single because right. to, to me it's like one of my it's i i like it but it's not like a personal favorite yeah there was talk from brian doherty about a lecture was excited about this song and then john's thought it'd be this might be a chance to have a big hit yeah this is a single that is not out here it will never come out it's called snail shell Though sometimes I kind of get it because it's got a kind of like a funk feel and it's kind of a, it kind of could be on the radio maybe. <laughs> um, I always thought like No One Knows My Plan is like the single. I was going to say the it's same It's just thing. such a, so yeah. infectious and maybe it's- and big sounding. And maybe it's too peppy sounding for the grunge era. Mm. Um, though I think, you know, there was like the swing revival. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would have been Remember good. that stupid thing? <laughs> around that time. <laughs> Where are all those guys now in zoot suits? <laughs> But yeah, the fact that it's a single, I feel like at, at the end of the day, like years later, it's not so much like an important part of, of the, that album, you know, like it mm -hmm. was a single, but I, I know all the songs equally on this album and it wasn't like a huge right. single, though it is funny. I did have a coworker who particularly loved Snail Shell. He wasn't familiar with They Might Be Giants, but for some reason he knew Snail Shell hmm. and he was like, oh yeah, I, I love Snail Shell. And I was like, wow, you're like the person that they were trying to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, trying to Maybe reach. Maybe they thought it was more accessible because it wasn't so dark. Maybe. But dark was in then. Yeah, that's so. true. Dark was in. Well, it's got like minor chords, you know, yeah. like was well, it lyric, something lyric. you would do? So what what do you what do you think of the song? You said it's it's not a fave, but you you like it. Yeah, I mean, I I find myself wanting to hear more like Sleeping in the Flowers. Sure, yeah. Or um Maybe more melodic. Destination Moon Yeah. or uh, a Stomp Box. <laughs> that's right. You know. I mean, there's a look favorite album a lot of great songs yeah the the real big thing is well besides like what it's about or yeah, whatever a snail shell is, <laughs> i wanted to ask i was really curious what you thought how do you process those lyrics oh you know i was looking at the lyrics today and i really just think that they're just a, a larger metaphor for helping people that are in need i mean I actually think it's a really positive song. Okay. Why? You disagree? No, no, I actually didn't disagree. Um, no, I, it's complicated. <laughs> because they don't they don't have a lot of songs that don't have that. You expect a twist at the end where like the snail is evil or like. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there's a larger story there, but it's really just about. A, a kind gesture. You're, it's about. To it. someone in need and to someone in a position of less power. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. Did I pass? No. Yeah. <laughs> I've always thought it was a cute song. Yeah. And I've always seen the song as kind of like Birdhouse. Right. Where it's about a small, nice gesture. Like Birdhouse yes. is about a, the nightlight. And an animal too. Yeah. Which it, very similar. innocent. I, I've always saw it as about like just the the depth of a small, nice gesture. Um, upon talking to people- uh -oh. <laughs> 
and looking up the gen- I, this I don't do this often. Uh, look yeah. up what fans say yeah, because I, I don't do want to. I don't want to take their ideas. I did that once and I regretted it. So. But everyone seems to have the complete opposite take on the song, and okay. I'm pretty sure they're right. And I damn asked, it, I asked Kristen. I asked our our podcast uh, reference point, uh, Chris Stengel. Yeah. I was really curious what he thought. So you asked me to set me up to then disprove But I, I was the same I as you. I, I've always... So we're in this together. I've okay. always kind of taken the song maybe foolishly at face value, being like, yeah, it's a yeah. snail. Um, <laughs> um, but the, what they said is like, well, they're like, Kristen's like, it's a sarcastic, being kind of sarcastic at someone who... Um, so it's like to go back in your shell... So that's like a, so first of all, I said to Kristen, wasn't that a turtle thing? But, um, but the idea of like being like retreating into your shell is like being like put in your place and you're, you feel insecure, Mm -hmm. you're shy, you're, you're, you're afraid, you know, is when you go in your shell. When a snail goes in its shell, it's hiding. I saw it as separated from its shell. Which, but that's so missing its shell. That can't happen. That doesn't happen with snails. It doesn't. No. I <laughs> what am I thinking of? Slugs. You're slugs thinking of like shells. hermit crabs yeah. and stuff. So it's funny because I was. Well, go- it's a song. It doesn't have to be true. <laughs> well, so that's well. That was the other thing I thought is that well, th- does that matter that it's not a real thing? Yeah. But it's no, fa- I, I, it's a fable. I also asked like you know I asked Chris Stengel and he was basically saying like yeah it's about like a really. It's a kind of an abusive relationship where he he thinks you people you're so cynical. <laughs> he thinks there's like some sexual politics there because the idea of being he thinks everything has sexual politics in it. I don't know. No, no. So well, it's the idea of like being at someone's being at someone's feet, and fucking. you know, being down at someone's feet and groveling and being so small compared to them. And there's like a lot. Where of, else would a snail be? At your head. No. Once there was a snail right by my face on a wall. It was climbing <laughs> up a wall. Well, that can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. I think a lot of uh, what's going on, and this this will tie into it too with a reference point of the song. So <laughs> the idea of like, thank you for, it's sort of like, thanks for putting me in my place, mm. which is like a, sar- would have to be sarcastic. Because it's like, it's the idea of like a spineless, like a right. snail, like a spineless creature just being like, like, oh, thank you. Like I'm, you're so big and I'm so tiny. And it, there's a lot, I do think there is some weird power politics going on there. And, you know, like, but I also have always seen the song as kind of cute. But but the, but then think about the, the author. <laughs> think about John Linnell. Yeah. His sense of humor, right? Yeah, but he's also a huge science lover, huge animal lover. Yeah. I think a very empathetic person, a very deep person. Yeah. I choose to see this world as full of love and light. Yeah. And you guys are all cynical and you live in the darkness. And I can't help you. You have to help well, yourself. So what the, here's the thing is, is to your point, like I was saying to Kristen, but how do you, you can't just say a lyric is sarcastic without like a, a cue to that, right? right? Like, What's your evidence? Like if I, if I sang a song and I'm like, I love you and I go, no, it's sarcastic. Like, <laughs> like that's not fair. Like how would you know that? Right. There's, so what's the There clues? has to be clues. Yeah. I mean, the, the lyrics don't really have a, any sort of clue that this is like a negative thing because he's just thanking, he's happy, <laughs> he's... The, the snail or whatever you want to say, Mr. Snail, he's, <laughs> he's saying how, you know, how could I repay you? Which I, I think Chris Stangle said, oh, that's like a, that's almost a threat. It's like, oh, I'll get you back for this one day. I want to know kind how this guy like, lives his life. How is like he interpreting everyday situations? insecure, like, you know, creepy person yeah. just being like, oh, you know. So here's the thing. A huge reference source for Snail Shell is the song by Sly and the Family Stone called Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again. Let's listen to that. Okay. 
Don't make them like this anymore. I would rather listen to this than anything that's popular. That was a good song. Oh, it's great. Well, Sly, so this, Dave, you'll be interested in this. This is the first song that like slap bass happened in. Is that true? Yeah. I really noticed the bass. <laughs> Wikipedia says yeah. this was the first appearance of slap bass. Wow. Which basically makes this the most important song funk, funk song that's like ever been written. Yeah. So, and I don't even particularly like slap bass, but that was a cool song. So here's the thing, though, and I, I, have, dislike a, I have a theory, a, lot, a few ideas about how this song is a reference point. And by the way, they've never, I don't believe they've ever said this. So this is, I guess, technically it's all theory. So more hearsay. So I want to thank you for putting me back in my snail shell. I want to thank you for letting me be myself again. Now, something yeah. going on with this, and I think this is part of the joke of snail shell, is that the title is spelled out in a funny way where it says, thank you for letting me be mice like the animal mice mm. elf, like an elf <laughs> again. So be mice elf again. I think Linnell got the idea for Snail Shell by seeing that title mm -hmm. and being like, well, what if I make a similar song? Small Thank small you for animal. putting me back in my Snail Shell where it's not a pun on any word. It's like yeah. literally about the little animal. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to explain. So it's like, it's definitely like Linnell's weird humor. He's like, imagine if this funk song really was about a mouse. You know what right. I'm saying? No, I, I am. And I'm just, yeah. my blank expression is because <laughs> I'm also thinking about um, the slap bass that's in this song too. Exactly. So, so, so it must be. So this is a, a real, um, con yeah, it's, it's musically and lyrically connected yeah. to this song, which is very classic. They might be giants. Yeah. Uh, thing, and I th thing to do. I think the only track that has slap bass yeah. on John Henry and almost out of any TMBG And song. not just the slap bass, but the whole vibe of it. Snail Shell is like a TMBG version of funk where um, <laughs> like the way I would say it is everything in, in Snail Shell is extremely precise. Mm -hmm. It's not like subliminal where everyone's smashing at chords. Snail Shell is a very specific drum part, very specific. The yeah. guitars come in for a second, come out. Like it's all really mapped out and I really admire that. And that's something I wish I did more in songs. One interesting thing with Sly and the Family Stone and the producer, Paul Fox, I was looking up interviews with him and he mentions them as an inspiration. And one of the things he said in terms, he was talking about arranging songs and, and he says, I'm, this is Paul Fox, the producer of John Henry, just to remind you, he goes, Not me, I'm Dave Fox. I'm constantly going back to great rhythm tracks like Motown Records or Sly and the yeah. Family Stone as reference points because if nothing else, those grooves are flawless. When you listen to them, often there's a simplicity that works under everything else, leaving a lot of space for other instruments to do things. Hmm. So that's like snail shell. Oh yeah, for sure. That's like the yeah, sound of snail shell. There's a lot of air in the verses. There's so much air. Like so, I, I we talked to Brian Doherty about that yeah. drum part. I love the drum part. Like yeah, yeah. Like it's so specific, mm -hmm. and I, I spent years trying to like nail it when I would play along. And the kick, the kick sound is so I don't even know exactly how they did it, but like the drum sounds sound, like an anvil. Yeah, it sounds yeah. the kick sounds huge and big. Um, that's the really hard part about mixing that I just, you know, with my new album, when I would solo the drums, they would sound so huge and all the nuance of the room and the kit. And then when you put everything else in, it's like all that's gone. And you're just trying to get the slightest hint of the drums pop out to pop out of the mix so that the, there's a beat. But like when you solo them, I'm like, oh, I hear the kick right. being like, it's so hard. But when you arrange a song this way where everything drops out. Like it's a really great opportunity to kind of show how beautiful things sound and how exciting things sound. And you consider me And now I'm where a snail has to be I want to thank you for putting me back 
It's also like going with the idea of subliminal and the way that's arranged. Like it's a real showcase for the band. It's them saying, and maybe this is why it was a single, but it's them being like, this is, we have a band now. Like listen to that drum part, yeah. listen to that slap bass, right. like which is hard to fake in MIDI. Yeah, it's yeah. a showcase for the whole band in a way. Cause you hear, cause they get a bass solo, they get a drum solo, you know. Right. It's like being like, here we all are. It's like this very, it's kind of celebratory in a way of, of the band. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is the title, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself. The, I, the sarcastic snail shell concept being like what he's taking that and being like, if being myself is being the insecure, hiding away, shriveled, sad, mm -hmm. inhibited version of me. It's like a kind of self-deprecating concept. Like if, if this is him being himself, it's like very uh, pathetic and sad. You know what I mean? I think so. Because if you're taking that that title as a reference point. But that still doesn't suggest malice. Everything that, suggests malice. Look out the window. <laughs> if you want to say that it's about an insecure person, that's fine. But the protagonist in the song didn't take advantage of them. There's still well, no evidence We don't evidence know what happened. Well, there's no evidence. I don't buy it. I guess, I mean, the idea of like coming out of your shell is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But in the song, it's made to be like, oh, I've lost like my home. You put me in my rightful. But saying you put me in my rightful place is like what a teacher does to a student, <laughs> right? It's like a it's a scolding thing, right? But also being able to put someone back in their home, as it were, if you want to take it in the fable route, that's yeah. a very positive thing. That's someone positive. that's lost their way. I fell out of my right place again. I think is a sort of a play on yeah, possibly putting someone in their place. Yeah, like the song is about someone who gets put in their place. And <laughs> think about that. Right. Yeah. Could now be a good I'm place. A, you don't see it. Now I'm where a snail has to be is like as a self-deprecating line. Like I'm just a fucking I snail. I suppose. I wanted to ask you, Dave, what do you think about snails? Because I know you, we both had... We both have a snail history. You have a snail history? <laughs> yeah, I What's do. your snail history? I kept snails as pets as a kid. What a little weirdo. I used to collect them from the my backyard, gotcha. and I would, kept them in a little plastic case, and I don't remember. I think they either died or I was like, well, what am I doing? But well, I, I, I used to love snails. Like, I actually, yeah. I actually, I used to be like, maybe this is why I thought the song was positive. Right. I used to have like a real fondness for snails. An affinity. <laughs> and I still kind of do. And I used to be absolutely devastated if I'd accidentally step on one or saw yeah, someone. Sure, I, sure. I still have vivid memories as a kid of seeing someone step on a snail and cry. Like, I would cry. Because to me, they were cute yeah. and kind of the snail, kind of the cute. shells are like beautiful. Yeah. But like they're kind of cute because you see their little eyes on their little <laughs> antenna yeah. and their little mouths if you look close. Yeah. They're, like they're, I, I've always thought snails were very cute. Are you referring to my pet snail? Yes, Snaily. Snaily. <laughs> I was. Damn straight. Rip. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> baby. Yeah. Or what, what was he this? might be alive in the sewer system what and was, grown big and strong. Oh, what was the story there? When I was living at home, my mom was washing lettuce or something like that, and there was a snail in it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, my mom loved animals. And it didn't and whatever. get like crushed. Only through the grace of God. <laughs> they're so fragile. That's the thing is, this shell is like protects it, but it's so fragile. Yeah, it's like paper. It really makes you think, right? Just like all of us. 
and my mom loving animals was just like, hey, we have a new pet now. So she put it in a mason jar and paper towel, you know, moist paper towel, fed it. Wow. And um, I think she was like changing the, the paper towel or something and it fell down the drain in the sink. Oh, and my no. mom felt really bad about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I, I, that it died right away. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, I, conceivable. I mean, if the shell is tough and they're just sliding around in the drain. Oof. Chrissy likes to believe, Chrissy knows Snaily well. They were friends. And yeah. uh, she likes to believe that uh, Snaily is thriving in the underworld right now, in the underground network, yeah. helping other snails reach their full potential. Being my history of snails is so positive, one can easily see why I think this song is positive. Yeah, well, that's that's how I've been, I would help too. Snaily. So I wanted to pick a, pick apart the music a little bit. John, I noticed, like, it's it's interesting, John Linnell's vocals are doubled like the drums were in Subliminal. Mm-hmm. It's like, it sounds like it's two of them, but it also sounds like it can just be an effect. It's hard to tell. Right. Because if it is two of them, it's extremely precise, right. which is very hard to do. But Or it could be just like a effect, like a chorus effect or whatever. But yeah, it's spread out. I mean, the song is like a really, really, it's got a really specific production where they really had like a vision for it, mm-hmm. which I like. Friend. Look what you gave And how can you ever be repaid How may I give you a hand From the position at your feet where I stand I wanted to talk about Flansburg's guitar playing in the second verse. I really enjoy. Um, he's not in the first verse. Uh, yeah. Do you so you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, he comes in on the... I've heard the song. He comes in on the second verse and it's very, it's very Flansburg. Like it's not... It's something that I don't think anyone else would have thought to play, but it's yeah. like, the, yeah, he's not just doing chords. It's like weird. There's a part where it's like very wobbly, like, yeah. you know, it's like very, but it's also like super precise and it's super specific. And it's like, I, yeah. I really, the song to me is very inspirational in terms of like, really arrange your songs, like be like, this comes in here and that comes in there. And then that's not, pl- it's really hard to make things not play hmm. when you're <laughs> recording a song because you just like, it's like, oh, I like playing stuff and i like the sound of this and blah less blah, blah. is more less is more yeah. exactly like honestly if you're mixing a song the power of just like oh i'm gonna mute all the guitars for this verse it's like whoa suddenly it sounds like a really strong choice you know mm-hmm. but obviously it doesn't always work but like it's it's something or like taking out i did one thing recently in a mix where it was like the third chorus and i was like something really needs to be different and often you add stuff but like I took away the drums. I made it just the guitar and the lead vocal. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it made it this, suddenly there's this intimate moment in the song that wasn't there before. Gotcha. And then sort of like what I said, you oh, now you can really hear the texture of the guitar. You right. can hear her, it's Kristen's voice. You hear like her voice really, really like yeah. clearly. And this is the first song on John Henry where like the organ comes in. And I just wanted to yeah. devote a bit to that because the organ sound is like a huge thing on the whole album, mm. which is sort of like takes the place of what would normally be like wacky synths <laughs> and like more mm. variety of keys sounds. Is that a Hammond organ? It's a Hammond organ. I have a quote from Linnell. He says, we had this really great Hammond B3 up at Bearsville. Yep, that's the one. And the we one end- they always use. And we ended up using it a lot. And then the interviewer says, like, to be more commercial or something. And he goes... <laughs> <laughs> that commercial Hammond 3 organ. And he goes, no, not at all. We really like the sound of this B3. And we did record all the rhythm tracks live. He's saying the accordion is, was harder to do as, like, a live instrument. And it just that... I don't know. So it's just, like, how... You know, it was sort of the go-to sound for this album. Yeah. Is the Hammond B3 organ a commercial sound? As opposed to, like, 
really out like crazy sense yeah. that they normally would do which mm. really grab your ears the whole yeah. the organ blends into the background oh, okay. more and the whole album is kind of mixed in a way i mean maybe this song's the exception but like i was noticing with sleeping the flowers at least like things are mixed in a way where it's like things don't jump out too much it's right. all they're all kind of on the same level which is like a choice and sometimes works and sometimes mixes like can sound kind of dead if, if mm. everything's the same level but for some reason on this album it works like really well very even yeah What do you think of the bridge of the song? I don't know how you write something like that. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. This this song kind of feels like a jam. Yeah. That that's like, did his demo have do 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 right. do 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 do? Or like or is that the, something that was figured out? It's just like a drum with the beat. live atmosphere. Yeah, so the bridge is like first it's like a drum it's like solo. Like two bridges, yeah. It's yeah, it's basically like a drum solo. Two bridges. And he's also doing like snail shell with yeah. like guitars. Sorry. With, <laughs> with, it's okay. I with, forgive you. And it's it's almost kind of like uh thrashy in a way, the way that you know, it's almost runs with like rap patrol or something. Mm -hmm. The way he's yeah. doing it, it's like snail shell. And then it's like a bass solo, which is like really this cool moment. I honestly the thing about John Henry and a song like Snail Shell is like it's kind of the first time they sound like maybe the guitar had this too, but it's like it's kind of the first time they sound like cool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like a big thing. Well, they were always cool to me. I don't know what you're talking about. But well, for me, like the reason this was one of the albums I'd play for non-fans is I'm like, like you I was like, you can't deny that's like some great playing and that's like really, really cool. You that's know, that's a great groove. Like a great, yeah, a great groove to me like transcends like oh i don't like that band or i like yeah. you know because it's like i'm not a sly in the family stone fan but like i listen to that song yeah and i was like yeah it's great it's like, fun yeah so it's like this song kind of to me i, I maybe i'm convincing myself about it being a single <laughs> i think the cool groove aspect of it is like yeah wouldn't everyone like a cool groove? Right. but i mean the snail aspect of it is probably like strange for for non-fans to, to you're forgetting hear. the great snail craze of 94 <laughs> yeah everybody was doing it I always really, I always used to like, and I used to try to play on keyboard, the piano part in the chorus. Sure. It's like this, like climb up, like do, 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 do. Yeah. And also Flansburg's also climbing up on his guitar. He's going. Yeah. So it's like very Linnellian, of course. Ascending. Go, like notes going up and up and up, but somehow it never, it always feels fresh somehow, at least until this point. It's like we've heard it again for the first time. There's a great harmony in the chorus that I love. It's like, you know, this really great, it's kind of one of those one note harmonies, like, was it? something you would do for I like those because you only have to figure out one note. Those work really well. When it's the right chord progression, those yeah. work really, really well. Yeah, the guitar sound is great and huge for like, he's mostly doing kind of single notes, but they sound really full and like full mm -hmm. of texture. Was it something you
uh, this is making me like the song more and also thinking a lot about the lyrics in ways that I never really did me made, too. made me appreciate the song. I could see, I mean, Linnell's sense of humor. Yeah. He's into toxic relationships. And Aren't we stuff all? Stuff like Answer and other songs. Yeah, but which Linnell do we have in this song? The one who the, the sang mammals? Yeah, the, yeah. Or the one that sang When Will You Die? <laughs> Cute or mean, Linnell. That should be two action figures you can buy. <laughs> Cute Linnell. Mean Linnell. Anyway. It sure should be, Jordan. <laughs> Dave. I'd love to talk about sleeping in the flowers, especially with you, Dave, because you're my little flower flower child. Thanks. But uh, we're, I think we're out of time. That's about it for us. We're sweating our buns off. <laughs> Go to at Don't Let's Pod on Twitter. I'm going to post awesome photos that Scarlett sent me of the, I'm not even going to say it. You won't believe it. Just go there and you'll see. I'm so excited. I've had these for a really long time. Been hiding them away in, mm -hmm. my, in my pocket. Email us. Don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. Dave, what was that email? Don't let's start podcast at gmail.com, Jordan. Just testing you. Come back soon for John Henry part two. Come back real soon, yo. Where we have a very special guest on that one, too. This has been Don't Let's Start. A, pod a podcast. A, a podcast. About. Do you say a uh or a? I say a. Let's talk about this for 20 minutes. This has been Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might, they be, might giants. be Giants. Dave, you look like you've got something to say? Friend. That's me. Look what you gave. What I give. <laughs> <laughs> How can you ever be repaid? I'll think of something. Goodbye. Bye. Wow!